What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 256, Six. if I'm right. Yeah, wow. Um, this is going to be a really special episode. It means a lot to me um, for many reasons, mainly because we're talking about some of my favorite movies ever, or maybe a movie that maybe qualifies as one of my favorites ever. We also have a special thing going on where we're actually seeing each other during this episode because we're doing a, a special Zoom meeting podcast thing. Yep. And uh, I'm Steve. And who else is here? I'm Ryan. I'm John. I'm Lauren. That is right. You are Lauren. And for those who listen to this podcast know Lauren's a friend of mine, of ours, of the podcast. She's been on the show a few times. Um, we talk a lot about horror movies with her and some other genres. But today we're doing a special episode, um, kind of like we've done in the past for Sleepaway Camp and for the Candyman franchise, where we just basically said, let's talk about the Scream movies um, and kind of go through all four films get together, talk about the franchise, talk about where it's going in the future, what it meant to the genre when it came out in 96, and everything in between, hopefully. So um, before we got on the call, we started to talk about this, but we figured let's wait, wait, and see what, what, what the podcast brings. And we were just starting to talk about how recently each of us have kind of like enjoyed these films or watched these films, however you feel about them. And Ronald, you, you most interestingly, and I'm hanging on right now to try to find this out. Like you were saying, what about your watching the movies in the past two days? Um, so I've realized a couple things happened. I didn't think that I had any exposure to screen. Right. Then I'm watching the movies and I realized I saw the last three movies in the movie theater and completely forgot about them. Did we not all four see it together? At the screening? The, am I, the fourth am I, one. Am yeah. I remembering? No, no. Yeah, the no, fourth I one. saw the fourth one uh, in Atlanta. I was there for uh, Apple Train. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think I was on the show yet, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember the, the three of us were definitely there. Aaron was there. My Aaron was there. Some other people from our job at the fruit stand were there. Uh, was Brian there, Lauren? I think Brian was probably there. Yeah, Brian yeah. was there. Yeah, so that was, a, yeah, that was a communal theatrical experience, minus John. We missed you, John. Right. Um, I like sitting beside Brian during movies. He, you mean he doesn't like <laughs> any noise? He doesn't like any noise, and his reactions to movies are so funny because it's not it's not extreme in any direction. It's just like I like that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I agree. He can be jittery. He he kind of like does like a like tense like yeah. squeeze up kind of a thing when something's gonna happen, but he he's pretty calm. He just does not like anybody talking near him. <laughs> not even the littlest whisper, which I don't either, but not even the Not even when Lauren movement. and I whisper to one another, like the quietest whisper you could think of. The quietest whisper, listen to this. Can't even hear us. You can't even hear me. He's like, don't do Brian it. He hates us. it. People who whisper think that they're quiet, but they're not really that quiet. You know, yeah. it's kind of just as loud in a weird way. That's right, <laughs> that's right. If you ask Brian, that was what he would say, yes. <laughs> we love you, Brian. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned the, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I've seen all these movies in theaters when they came out, but over over the past couple of days watching them, um, it did make me remember how we had seen the fourth one together in theaters right. and like kind of what our initial reactions were coming out of seeing it. And 
you know, and we'll get into that, but just like how that maybe has changed over time for any of us and especially rewatching it in, in this, in the scope of the series together, you know, like back to back to back to back. I think the movies kind of like sort themselves out a little more to me, at least is kind of one of my big takeaways um, and kind of where I kind of see each movie, but um, everybody else have, has everybody else like watched it fairly recently is how, how did you guys catch up on them? Uh, John and Lauren. Watched them all this week. Yeah, I, I had seen the first one probably several times over the years. I'd seen the second one once. And then I think the third and the fourth one each once as well. So I I feel like the first one was extremely familiar to me. I watched it uh, last night and then I watched um, part two again. And then I wore the third and the fourth one. Like I was like, I've got to watch them again fresh so that I'm, they're fresh in my mind when we start this conversation. So I just watched them again. I guess... In reflecting in these and, you know, since you saw them all together, what separates Scream, the series, from other series of horror that you've seen before? Because I, I was super curious because I know, I know, Steve, you're a big fan of them. I, I, I really would. I mean, I was interested to know what, what separates them. I mean, so I'll, I'll answer it first. I mean, because the first thing that came, comes to mind and like a lot of the notes that I took about because like as I was rewatching, I was taking some notes just to, for talking points and. One of the things that really stuck with me after seeing the first Scream, which I don't know, I was like maybe 14 or 15 when it came out. And it was like one of the first horror movies that I saw, obviously in a theater, it had that mystery element. It kind of had that groundswell where like it wasn't expected to be a, a sensation like it ended up becoming. But one of the biggest takeaways that stuck with me then and I even associate with now is that it was like a horror movie of my time. So like it was a time that I was kind of like the kids in the movie or the teens in the movie, the high school students in the movie. Um, whereas everything that I kind of hold high in my horror, you know, Hall of Fame, a lot of those movies kind of came out or at least, you know, premiered in, in times that, you know, when I was like a young, young kid or, or before I was even born, you know, they have like a legacy that they bring with them through the franchise or just that they carry over time. So I, I think what was special about Scream and even through the sequels um, is just that to me personally, it really was, it like spoke to me very, very personally. Like it spoke to me and how I felt about the horror genre, how meta it was, what it was talking, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of the movies that the characters were aware of that I also knew and referenced and, and adored, you know, in some ways. And so, yeah, it's just the idea of, you know, it being a horror movie for people who love horror movies, but especially for people that at that time were my age who loved horror movies that all those characters were just referencing nonstop. It just was like magic to me watching that in the theater. I agree with that 100% being like close to your age. I mean, I'm a little younger than you, but <laughs> um, close to your age as far as what it meant to me at the time. And so I was probably like 13 seeing that movie. The first one is the only one I didn't see in theaters because honestly, before Scream, I was a little bit wimpy, like in my like late childhood, early adolescence. So I didn't watch a ton of horror movies until Scream. And um, how I saw it was actually on a bus trip to DC when I lived in Connecticut, a bus trip to DC. I don't know how it was our eighth grade trip. And I don't know if the teachers just didn't know what it was, but they let us watch an R-rated movie on the bus. And after that movie, I was like, oh my God, I can watch horror movies now. Like I can, I'm not like, uh, this isn't terrifying to me. And I feel like that started my love for horror. So I feel like if it weren't for that movie, it might've taken me years to 
realize how much I love the genre. Now you almost take that for granted that horror movies are going to comment on the genre or that there's going to be some meta aspect. They have to think ahead of an audience that has seen a lot of horror movies. And I think at the, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but at the time, no one had really done that to this extent before. So the fact that it sort of flattered your intelligence about being a, a horror movie viewer. And in fact, that was something that people used to say about horror movies all the time was that like, these characters seem to have never seen a horror movie, you know? So you, so you would see in the screen movies, it was very on, it was very on the surface that they were doing that, that like, you know, that was what kind of set it apart instantly. But um, other than that, it's almost just like an old fashioned throwback, like a slasher film. All the early slashers were whodunits. Um, so I think for me, it had the same thing you said, Steve, of like, it was both a throwback and something fresh. But for you, Ronald, I know that you kind of have come to love horror through the recent years on this show more than you did before. So did you have that kind of sense of the fact that when it came out, it was kind of a genre buster? I, unfortunately, it missed me. But what I can say is that it's weird to think about. Ghostface is the the iconic horror figure from the 90s mm -hmm. like it was late 90s that was it there was nobody else like i mean i guess if you consider like the 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 saw guy but the gap in their popularity is pretty huge when i think about horror figures i think freddie jason ghostface and a couple others you know what i mean like it's weird to me to think that that character is it and and it began in 96 and it was like I see that mask everywhere, all times of year. Mm -hmm. I see that mask, so which is really cool. So, um, yeah, I think I think it did revolutionize that sort of commentary that's so common in every. It's in everything now, and it wasn't in the '90s. There wasn't like someone speaking from the voice of the fan, the super fan of any genre that we were watching. That's in everything now. And I, I feel like when I watched a bunch of movies from the 90s, I had never seen anything like that. So hearing it in the screen, it feels like a regular thing now, but you're right. It was it was brand new. And I remember when, when I was watching it with uh, Aaron, I was like, oh man, this is, it's heavy handed a little bit, but oh, yeah. it's its own thing. And if you're in, it, it, it could be a really fun ride. Well, I mean, it had the pedigree of it being Wes Craven. I think that's another thing that was crucial to me at the time because Nightmare on Elm Street may have been my favorite series at that point. I definitely had a, a Freddy Krueger poster in my room. I still wonder what my parents thought of that when I was like 13 or 14 or whatever. And I had like, hey, look at this burned up uh, child killer that I, I think is funny, you know. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, it's Wes Craven. So it had that kind of like, automatically you knew that it was, wasn't somebody that was like mocking the genre that didn't know what they were talking about. It was someone who had sort of been around since the, at least since the the 70s, which is like that modern era of horror that we think about was like from the 70s into the 80s, that kind of classic era that you're talking about, Steve. And so, yeah, for it to be something new that seemed like it was not just made by one of the arguable masters of it, of the genre, but it was it was made with a little bit of a budget and had like a studio gloss to it. And that's something I noticed in these movies. Even the score has this fully orchestrated aspect to it that, I mean, these movies really felt like uh, big movies, like they were really trying to make something for the mainstream. These are the movies of the 90s. And between this and Candyman, I don't know what else there was that was that had lasting power, like, say, like Michael Myers or Freddy or Jason. So I guess we could we could go to part one. Yes. Scream. Scream one. Scream. Hello. Hello. Yes. Who is this? Mm, who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. Well, I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. 
I actually, growing up, was a pretty, I don't, I don't say a huge Drew Barrymore fan, but I really liked Drew Barrymore. And for her to die right off the bat, like I thought I was watching a Drew Barrymore movie when I saw it and I was like, oh, the biggest star in the movie is gone. Like, so, um, but yeah, that first scene, it, it pulls you in for sure. Hello? Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? Tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. And, and now watching it as an adult, like, I feel like it always was a strong scene, but now watching it from the view of, like, a mom, it's like, oh, my gosh, just to to think, you, you really think, like, I don't know, even now, like, watching it now, there's parts, obviously, I know what's going to happen. I've seen it hundreds of times, but there's moments in that opening scene where you think she might make it. Like even after like the knife through the throat part, like you think there's a chance for her. And then it's not until she's literally being dragged and her parents can hear her on the phone that you're like, oh, she, she's not, she's done. I mean, it was sad. It was it, to see it happen. I mean, it's like these movies, they really, especially the first one, there's something so brutal about the kills. All these movies have that element of just like being stabbed over and over again. It's gruesome. Um, but uh, yeah, for it, for it to be the biggest star that was in the movie and even on the poster, you know, the way this movie was sold was as though she might be a major character. So, I mean, that was kind of the trick this movie pulled, right? I mean, that was the first yeah. really big like move they got in was that within a few minutes, they had completely surprised you with who they would kill. Um, but also all that stuff with the phone call and what's your favorite movie and the Jiffy Pop, all of that stuff has become, I mean, I guess you, I couldn't help but think of scary movie throughout these movies. Like <laughs> so much about these movies have been like turned into pop cultural fodder, you know, yeah. but that opening scene, just the staging of it, it's really, it's a really good thriller scene. Like I, I made me think these movies this time through, I really thought about what kind of a master of suspense Wes Craven is with his, his pacing and, and just the way he'll stage a sequence like that. Listen, asshole. No, you listen, you little bitch. If you hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish, understand? <sighs> yeah. Is this some kind of joke? More of a game, really. Can you handle that? Blondie. One scene that made me know that this movie was going to be nuts might not even be something that you guys might even think is of note. Billy was accused of murdering. He went from jail to school with fingerprint ink on himself. <laughs> I was like, this movie is nuts. All bets are off. I, I don't know what I'm going to see at this point. I, I just like, all right. I, I don't know what this is. I, I thought it was crazy. I, he just kind of rubbed it on her. I was like, this movie is nuts. <laughs> Talking about the scene in the hallway where yeah. he comes yes. on. Yeah. He like comes straight from jail. Now he, he doesn't stop. He has the same outfit on. And he's like, I'm out of 
But he also says, like, you should be over that. Is that not the scene where he kind of says, you should be over your mother's death? Like, he kind of was like, geez, Sydney, come on. That just happened a year year ago. Like, your mother was brutally raped and murdered, you know, like. And they say raped and murdered so many times in this movie. Yeah. Raped and murdered. (laughs) She was raped and murdered. Do you know your mama's? It's like, God damn. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. Obviously, I love the opening scene. I think it's like the movie's calling card, I guess, is what most people, like, think of, like, how amazing it was. Like, again, a movie that like John said marketed with Drew Barrymore who who really you know one of the things we're going to talk about with the movies is just like the star power and like you know the cast and whatnot you know for this film in 96 like the, the star of the movie if you look at a call sheet is is Drew Barrymore you know Nev Campbell is a is a TV star with Party of Five and, and sure people in the movie have popped up here and there and you may recognize them from things but I mean she's the star and like John said she's on the poster and even like the marketing, like the trailers and stuff, like the way they cut clips where, you know, you see her multiple times in the trailer, it sells it that she's going to be in more of the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though you don't realize that's all from one scene, which is just like the great part of doing good trailers. Um, but yeah, just like the pacing of that whole opening sequence is just, I think, incredible. And I think it's it's a, it's, it's a really... Um, good start to just like the filmmaking you know i i one of the thing, one of the scenes i always love in, in that whole sequence is like when the parents get home and the mother goes to call 911 and she hears her on the phone like the the shot goes to like a dutch angle where it turns sideways and you hear and the score kicks in i always just remember that scene and i just i just love that that's kind of showing the finesse that's that takes place just in the rest of the movie but i mean it all happens in the first what 10 minutes you see all of these different filmmaking approaches to you know how great the dialogue is going to be how smart it is how meta it is and and you know beyond drew and you know how great she is as an actress and and even in that opening scene but like how uh how much you're in for in terms of what's coming up in the movie in terms of the story the the dialogue the script the performances because i think across the board they're all pretty great um the only other scene i would really throw out there that i just genuinely always remember and love is just the whole the party sequence when Randy goes through the rules and, you know, of, of surviving a horror movie and just how fun that scene is. And, you know, how it kind of comes back to that scene throughout the whole party at the end um, when he's watching it by himself and you hear like the Halloween score kick in after he's just like talked about Jamie Lee and Halloween. And it's just, it's just like a really great sequence and Matthew Lillard joking with the, I'll be right back at the end. It's just, the tone of the movie is kind of summed up in that is that we're talking about horror movies. They're aware of the movies that we talk about all the time and there's humor in it. And there's, you know, there's tension in it and there's suspense in it. And ultimately, you know, there's death that's coming, you know, it's just, I I love, um, you know, all the people in the room, how they're like booing him. And like, it's just such a fun, it's such a fun scene to see in a horror movie. And, you know, especially one that's talking about, the rules of being a final girl, which there's there's one in the house. You know what I mean? It's just amazing. Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Uh, have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no no! Big no! Big no! Sex equals yes. death. Okay, number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. 
I'll be right back. Oh! You see, you push the laws and you end up dead. Okay, I'll see you in the kitchen with a knife. Right before that scene you're talking about starts is when Rose McGowan or Tatum goes off to get beer. And she doesn't, I don't know if she says, I'll be right back, but she says, I'm gonna go get some beer. It's a very similar thing. So it's right after she leaves to go and be off by herself so she can get killed that <laughs> then we, we get this scene that establishes the rules. So it's like, once again, they're kind of, they're kind of telling you what they're doing and that should make a horror movie not work. And I also think just in terms of tropes, this movie, they pointed out, it doesn't become one of the rules, but there's a comment about going upstairs when you should try to leave the house. And that's a repeated theme in all the movies, but they do talk about that. And then right after that, you see her do it. So in a sense, these are, these are the rules. So what do you think? Do they follow their own rules? Does everybody who survives, you know, I guess they break the rules, but as far as who gets killed, does everybody kind of fit the mold that these rules set up? the not having sex like yeah sydney survives so she's kind of breaking that rule but billy dies right so um <laughs> and he's even one of the killers yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i don't know i think i think for the most part it, it's 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 kind of like it has a both sides of it like where it's kind of trying to subvert it there's characters that probably are breaking rules and i think this goes throughout the franchise that somehow survived the series but i think there are you know uh for the most part, I think a lot of the people that are dying in some way definitely fall into one of those categories. Mm -hmm. I real I realized something about our our uh, main character. I I know her story, but I don't know who she is as a person. But still, I like her a lot. I realized when when she first came on screen, I was like, everybody's telling me what to know about her. Like mm -hmm. her mom died. She was right. She's raped and killed, and she's. And she's like this quiet, brooding sort of character in a lot of the scenes. She doesn't really... And this is throughout the whole thing. Like, I still don't know a lot about her, and she's still a very likable character. All of them are pretty likable, and that's something that is very different for me in horror films. Like, I'll come away from a horror film sometimes feeling like I don't, I'm not invested in these characters. Mm -hmm. and, and most of the characters in the first film... I don't want to die. I'm like, oh, no, no, please, no. You know, when they go in rooms, I'm, I'm very worried. You know, I get, I get very like jittery about it. So it's a, that's a good, that's a good sign to me of a, a solid horror film. The people of Woodsboro, they're kind of like the people of Pawnee on Parks and Recreation, or the people of South Park, or the people of Springfield. In that, you get this like crowd. Everyone, when when they find out the principal's been murdered and he's strung up and he's hanging on the goalpost at the at the football field, everybody leaves the party like, like like singing uh, uh, "Ride of the Valkyries" together in their cars as they as they pull out. You know, so it's like that's like mob hysteria, right? Like. That's crazy. That's animalistic madness. But at the same time, you somehow believe it. It's a slightly heightened universe, but it still feels relatable. And I think that the characters that you care about, I do think that it adds a little bit of a dimension to the typical slasher characters, even though Randy is like, he's the slasher movie geek with a little bit more. And then Sydney, if we're going to call her the kind of virginal final girl type, she's got a little something more. And Ronald, that backstory you're talking about, I thought it was interesting how much they don't spell it out. Like, does it, do you think that kind of adds to these movies in a way? The fact that she's got this backstory that really takes, I think, a couple movies before you really know everything. And then the third movie adds even more to that. So just going off the first movie, I feel like she's just supposed to be the girl next door. Like she's right. like, obviously likable and just simple. And I feel like you don't really need to know too much about her personality because you're hearing so much about the rest of her. And obviously the people around her really like her. So I feel like that's just supposed to be how you feel about her and honestly like I don't know even as 
as they progress and as she's even a woman in the fourth one, like a grown up, I feel like she, I think she's just supposed to be that likable, relatable girl next door. She could be anybody. Yeah. So anybody whose mother was, was famously raped and murdered. Right. And I, and I typically am somebody who does like a lot of like exposition and backstory. I am typically somebody that wants more. So I, but I'm satisfied with her character as far as her personality. I feel like she could just be, you know, a girl that I sat with in class that I really liked. Like, I think she's just a normal girl. Yeah, no, and, and Nev Campbell, we should say, is great. I mean, that's a huge part of why these movies work. She, she just totally sells it. Nobody reacts to getting a phone call like her. No one. I've never, in the history of movies, I've never heard, seen someone react the way that Nev Campbell does. It's so good. It's what like, does it look like? It's like... <laughs> Like shock, it's like shock, fear, and and you got to shit at the same time. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Slight constipation relief. Slight constipation. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a narrowing of the eyes. You're right. There's there's yes, definitely some concentration. Fucking like it's it's wide but narrow. It's it's so good. Even if I if if I, if I had fucking uh, closed captioning on with no sound, I'd be like, oh, she got the call. Oh man, her face, she got the call. Yeah. Speaking of phone calls, um. The voice, we haven't talked about that. That's a huge part of these movies as well. The fact that that voice does not sound, it almost sounds like a movie phone guy or something. You know, it doesn't sound <laughs> like someone who's here to murder you. And then when he gets emotional or he gets angry, it becomes this different performance. But Roger L. Jackson, I think is the yeah, name Roger of Jackson. The, the voice. Uh, something I did not know before I looked into this for this conversation. Um, do you know what other famous character he does the voice for? No. Mojo Jojo on the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> oh, Okay. So it's like, I mean, he was like a voice actor. I just think that's really cool that, you know, nowadays it feels like they would get some, you'd be spinning the whole movie trying to guess, is that Brad Pitt? You know, it'd be somebody big. But I love the fact that they just got an actual voice actor to do that. Can we admit that his voice gradually gets more nuts as the, as the films go on? Like, at first, it, it's like a, a calmer voice in the first one. The second, he's, he's full on like a... A thing. Well, isn't that like a different? Well, we're gonna get yeah. to that. Yeah, let's, let's hold person. that thought. Yeah, but in the okay. first movie, let's think about like who it is. It's someone who's having fun with this. Yeah, yes. it's the person, it's, uh, and we can assume it's either Stu or Billy that's making the calls. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the other thing I would say is that, um, as far as like characters, we you know, there's this supporting group of characters. Sydney is the final girl, but there's other characters that are in these movies that I really think are a huge part of the heart that you were talking about, Ronald. And I think uh, Gail Weathers and 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 Deputy Dewey. They're great horror movie characters. Amazing. She's fodder for getting killed in the average horror yeah. movie. And yet in this, she's got a look, she's just got enough gumption and she's tough enough that you kind of like to see her stick around. And then Dewey, I love the way that, I mean, something happens to him in the third movie that's just so funny to me, but I love how ineffectual and yet heroic he can be at the same time. He's just a sweetheart. Um, what do you guys think of uh, Dewey and Gale? Love them. They have great chemistry. It's like this push and pull about their, their sexual tension that I kind of love. Ron, you know they were married in real life, right? Yeah. And and divorced by the fourth, right? No. I looked it up. Yeah, I think they were still that. married in the fourth. Yeah, they got divorced like a year or two yeah. after. And oh. but they, they met on the set though. They weren't married with the first one. They were not together. No. I love that. Horror movies bringing couples together. Sarah Michelle yeah, Geller and Freddie Prince Jr. got together because of a horror movie. Like Gail Weathers and Dewey. That's great. Look at that. <laughs> Can we talk about Freddie Janitor? Are we going to talk about Freddie Janitor? <laughs> you mean you mean you mean Wes Craven? Yes, where Fonzie and uh, Freddie meet. <laughs> yeah, I love that little bit. His hands were like in this weird position when he they like saw. It's like very funny, man. 
I screamed. Yeah, if anybody who's listening doesn't know what we're talking about, there's a scene where Henry Winkler as Principal Hembry um, goes out, he's searching the school. And this is another scene where him dying kind of throws it off a little bit. It's not all teens, you know, he's a good yeah. example of that kind of, every now and then in a slasher film, you do a, a figure of authority just to show that it's it's not limited to kids. But he's like looking around the school and he's having his own kind of poking around the scary haunted house going where that noise come from moment. And then out in the hall, he says, those like, he says something like, those miserable little shits or something talking about the, the high school students. And then he sees that the janitor standing there who is offended. And he says, what'd you say? <laughs> or whatever. And he says, not you, Fred. I'm not talking about you. You know, that's Wes Craven, right? I didn't know that was yeah. Wes Craven. Yeah. I just thought it was Freddie, Freddie, Freddie janitor. It's Freddie Krueger. It's the real life Freddie Krueger. Right. Although I guess that's what, it's not Springfield. Uh, so it can't be a crossover. Uh, but maybe he left this school and went to another school. Someplace, maybe he just like, I got to get to an elementary mm -hmm, school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like the, the the supporting cast you're talking about, like, yeah, like, obviously I love Gail and Dewey, and it's cool to see them kind of go on through the franchise. And, you know, you you really see, like, through the course of this movie, what the core of the franchise is. But even, even the characters that, you know, are either killers or that get killed, you know, like like what John was saying, like, so many of them are almost instantly likable you know there are different archetypes that you see in these high school movies or whatever or slasher movies in general but they are you know they're fun to listen to they're fun to watch interact with one another they're joking you know they're all friends and you know um like tatum and randy and even Stu and billy like they're all just like really likable characters even if, if you like suspect someone you know like billy is, is suspect you know and but through the whole movie you know you don't really you know, in most in most scenes, you don't really sus suspect Stu, you know, like he, he's kind of like a goofball and just, you know, prodding everybody, giving everybody a hard time. Kind but of. I Stuart. really love I really love Randy. And I, I think yeah. and, I, and obviously relatable, like he's just like the guy who is just pining after Sydney. And, you know, he just like knows about the movies and he's like he's the guy that never gets the girl. And that's joked about in the movie and throughout the franchise as long as he's in it. And, you know, I just think like, it's so funny. Like, you know, we talked about the rules that he sets at the party, but even in the video store scene, which, you know, literally, what is that? 25 minutes in the movie, he's telling us who the killer is, you know, based mm -hmm. on the rules, based off of things that we should know as fans of horror. But some reason, because this movie is so meta, we're like, we can't expect it to be him. You know, we can't expect that he's been clear to these things. There's no way, you know, like, I just love that there's a character like Randy who you just want to believe. You know, I think it's her father. <laughs> Why can't they find her pops, man? Because he's probably dead. His body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere. Eyes gouged out, fingers cut off, teeth knocked out. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. telling you the dad's a red herring it's billy and you want to like basically root for him and that's why like i love the scene at the party where you know Ghostface is behind him on the couch and you hear him yelling at jamie behind you behind you like i just love that character so much and i just think he 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 kind of i think he kind of becomes just like maybe not the i don't know the heart of the movie but i mean i just think his character is really the engine for like all of the conversation that you have and probably like about some of the heavy handedness that you you mentioned earlier, 
uh, Ronald, but I just, I just think that like placing that kind of character that's so aware of, um, of the genre that it's, that this film is a part of, you know, I just think that it's like a, it's such a fun character and, and just like, uh, you know, seeing him interact with everybody the way he does. And even in Scream 2, like, he's just so fun to see on screen, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think he's a really fun character. No, he's kind of the invention of this movie or yeah. this series in a way. And if if you want to look at all that stuff that you talk about with the meta aspect, yeah, he's the walking, talking embodiment of the meta aspect of these movies. And, in fact, he plays out – It's it's so – familiar to us now because people do all of those like there's there's books printed like zombie survival guide and yeah. stuff but it used to be kind of a fun thing to do with fellow horror fans like sit around and talk about how you would survive or how watching horror movies gives you Definitely. the tools that you need to survive and i just think that's a clever concept that's really yeah it's played out and i do remember seeing this movie not knowing who jamie kennedy was and being like who's who's like he kind of carries he kind of walks away with the movie in a couple of in a couple of spots, you know. I hated Stewart though. I'm not gonna <laughs> hate lie. Stu? Now, do you hate Stu or do you hate Matthew Lillard's performances, Stu? His performance. You know, John. You know me. You see the look on my face. I know you're about to have a hot take. I'm happy because because here's the acting of everyone else, and here's what he's doing. It's so high octane. It's like it's like um it's like uh Jim Carrey didn't have the chops that he had, and and he just like flailed this talentlessness man i i don't like him in anything maybe i oh, should wow. be maybe i should wow. I, what's the one with where he was on acid and he went through the SLC punk i don't like him in that or was yeah i guess that's probably it. yeah I, I gotta say, I think Matthew Lillard is like a bold performer. Like, I love that he does oh, such crazy he's things. Bold. He does he's weird bold. things. And I know what you mean. There's like an untrained quality to his, the way he does yeah. it. But I thought I took that performance to be like, this is a guy who's acting out all the time. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's he's kind of grating on your nerves a lot seems to me like it's part of, you know, like he's the guy who's picks his girlfriend up and swings her over his shoulder and walks away. It's like somehow he gets away with it in this world. And I think those guys really exist, but I took that as kind of a type of character. He flails his arms a lot. Like just... he is a cartoon character, but I think there are people who act like that in high school. Do you not remember those people who were like I, theatrical I, I to a fault? Okay. I, Lauren's face is him. Yeah, Lauren, get I, it. I love him. Okay. Even like back then. Okay. I must've liked some like, I guess, I mean, I must have liked douchey guys back then because I <laughs> loved him. I thought he was hilarious and I think he's so cute. He's so cute. Before he turns out to be a psycho, he and, he and Tatum are so cute together. Like I always just thought they were like funny and I don't know, I just like that. He was meant to be like an over the top persona. You know? I, I can see how you would think he's over the top even in other roles. Like he's been in other things or like comedies where he's just like a little bit much, yeah, but like I do, I love him in Scream. I really liked him in that other horror 13 Ghosts. Like I like his delivery of things oh, yeah. and like, I don't know. I just think that he, he can be over the top, but I like how he delivers like a sarcastic line. I just love him. If there's anybody in the movie that I dislike the most, it's probably Billy. I don't, I don't okay. love him. And I don't, I and I don't love him. I guess I just don't love him as an actor either. There was a scene in the police station where he's scowling at uh, Sydney. Over the chair. And over the chair. Menacingly, after she's just been through hell. Acting intensifies. And he, it's like she's scowling back. She's got the narrow eye, Nev Campbell thing going back. But as you said, Ronald, her acting is bringing me in and making me go, yeah. man, she's really yeah. trying to figure out what he's doing. But his scowling is making me think like, it, it, there is a little bit of like, Skeet Ulrich is really trying to act. Yeah. 
I gotta say something about Stewart, man. <clears throat> I didn't like him at all in the movie. But that that scene where uh, are we talking about the spoiler? Are we spoiling? I mean, we're from nineteen ninety six. Like, okay, you when seen when it. when things unfold towards the end and they start stabbing each other, and he's he's like hurt, and he starts to like cry. Yes, I, I got kind of sad. I, yeah. I was like, man, this is. I think something's happening to my adult head. It's kind of what you were talking about, Lauren, where you you feel death a little more as you get older. And seeing that kid kind of be like out of control and crying, I was like, man, this, he was acting his ass off at that one part. I was like, I, this is intensely good. It was weird. I hated him for the whole movie. Sounds kind of like kinda... you liked his performance to me, Ronald. I don't know. No, no, John. I hated the beginning of it. But towards, I'm telling you, yeah. So I guess I love that part. Maybe that's why they picked him. He has like this range about him. And that stab scene, I'm telling you, man, like, if you look at that, like, hearing him cry and yeah, shit. Yeah, it's really good. It was weirdly intense. I got kind of emotional. I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't want him to die. Stop it, Billy. Would you all right? I can't take anymore. I'm feeling woozy, yeah. I'm fresh off of Scoob. I did not want to say this, but Scream is Scooby-Doo mixed, <laughs> mixed with some other elements. It is legitimately Scooby-Doo, man. And I would have gotten away with it. <laughs> I do it every time I get caught, man. It's like, it, it's nuts. Anyway. I guess I don't, I don't know that I agree with the whole Scooby-Doo thing. No, it's Scooby-Doo, man. I, I kind of feel like in the, in the Scream movies, the whole franchise, the power of the reveal is always at the behest of, like, of the killer. Right. Like no one, no one is That's figuring it out. Everybody has been completely fooled. And they're telling them before they kill the last person of this plan we are the killers or, or I or we or whatever. I think then, I just mean it in structure. I don't, I don't necessarily mean like, it's almost like somebody was writing a Scooby-Doo script that was like, hey, why don't we take Scooby-Doo? And instead of that happening, let's flip it on its head. Gotcha. Let's have them figure it out this way. Mm. But I think the, 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 the dynamic that I see in Scooby-Doo is something, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's yeah. like the, the, the idea that friends come together Every time that something happens in a way, in this way, feels very much like a high school Scooby Doo yeah. sort of feel. I, I can and, see, and that's no, I can see and that's like, no insult to the, to the movie. I, I can just, see like the double reveal of like there being additional people, like yeah. that kind of thing, like of the mystery. I definitely can see the comparison there. But yeah, I don't know. I think that that's one of the things I think is pretty consistent and, and works for the most part throughout the franchise. But most effectively in this first uh, entry, it's just that. You know, yeah, they, they kind of have, I guess, banded together in some way to try to just survive. But ultimately, if not for the if not for the killer ego, you know, mm -hmm. just that need to know or to be known, like, you know, they would all have succeeded, you know, like the, with the plan, like you guys are saying. But if it wasn't for those rotten kids, well, if it wasn't for my ego, basically, <laughs> yeah, of having true, to man. tell you, hey, it's me like yeah. the, the turn that Billy makes at the door is fucking iconic i think it, it is. is i mean whether you it like really him is. or not that's iconic and the the norman bates quote it's just you know it's it's so layered and everything it's just great that like you know there's a trust in that scene between characters about not letting him in letting him all this stuff is happening with the characters that you trust or don't trust but yeah it just comes down to in all these movies of like just the ego of needing to know that that you that 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 they won but you know they didn't obviously you know what i mean like and that's kind of like a trope but it's just uh 
I don't know. I think it works really well. If I was a psycho killer, I would want the person to know that it was me. My ego, I would need that person yeah, to die knowing. <laughs> like you need to die knowing that I wanted to kill you and here's why. I can't, yeah. I couldn't, I need to have the last word. So I'm probably, I would be, I'd, I'd not beat the final girl, but it, like what fun is it to kill somebody for a reason that you obviously have built up in your head enough to make all this fuss about and then they don't right. know it was you the whole time. Right. Right. No, unfulfilling. I couldn't, I couldn't live with that. So Lauren, I have a question for you. Um, we were talking about Billy and Skeet Ulrich's performance. And I just wanted to know as, as, as a woman, there, there's two scenes in the movie where there's a scene where uh, Sydney refers to him as a stud bucket. <laughs> there's another scene where two girls in the bathroom refer to him as a bubble butt boyfriend. And I'm just wondering, do you think he's more of a stud bucket or a bubble butt? <laughs> I don't think he's a bubble butt. He's very thin. Uh, he's, Sure, stud bucket, but not to me. I I don't think I don't know. Does that mean he's a bucket of stud? I don't know what that means. Yeah, what like, you could handle. John. He's just like it's, a really sexy bucket. Yeah, stud bucket. <laughs> and going back to what I said about disliking Billy, I'm I don't. Nobody else could have played that part. I'm not saying yeah. that I don't think he did a good job. I do. I'm just saying if I had to pick somebody that I didn't like or that I didn't really love as an actor, it would be him. But. Nobody, the whole, the, the cast of this whole movie, like, I don't think anybody else would have been right for the, the part for the first movie. I, I, I honestly like, uh, you know, this is like one of my favorite movies ever. So, I mean, like, I, I absolutely love this movie. I mean, there was a, I think I tagged you guys in this Twitter thing about like where they were doing the perfect movies, you know, if you had to pick, you know, three or five or whatever it was. Yeah. And, you know, no, no second thought. Like, this is, this is one for me. Like, I, I genuinely love, everything that it says about the genre about the nineties. I mean, also again, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's, that's my decade. Like that's like my reference point for most things that, you know, I tap into for nostalgia now that we're seeing coming out or reboots or remakes. Like it's all the nineties and, you know, the video stores and just, you know, the, 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 just the start of cellular telephone, tel telephones and like, Cellular telephones. They say that so many times. Yeah, in the first yeah. Movie. I was trying to wrote that down there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kid, what are you doing with a cellular telephone? The police actually <laughs> ask a high schooler at one point. Um, but I don't know. I think that's that's. I think that's something that was cool about Scream was just like that. It really kind of settled in and lived in the time that it took place in. You know, like it really kind of a like welcomed some of those things that normally in movies like will definitely date a movie you know in terms of the longevity of it and the, you know the timelessness of it you, know, you could look at this movie and you would definitely be like oh wow this is like the 90s you know and that 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 dates it and that maybe hurts movies you know i don't know like I've, that conversation happens all the time about movies in the genre especially but um for me i just that's one of the reasons that i love it the way i do is just that it you know it it hit me at that time and it it's got so many reference points from the clothes, the music, just the way everything looked, um, you know, and the high school experience in the nineties and like the, you know, the absence of social media It's just, and now like looking back on it in this rewatch, it's just like, it's so easy to see how different it was and how different, like a movie like this plays in that time. And I just think it's so effective. And um, I also love the soundtrack to the movie. Just uh, wanted to give a shout out across the franchise. The soundtracks are pretty strong, but um, I, I always remember listening to this soundtrack on a pretty extensive loop, um, introducing me to bands that I'd never heard of. I really, just really, I wanted to point out on the soundtrack, the, the, the Gus 
cover of Don't Fear the Reaper, like when Billy comes into her room in the beginning of the movie. I just um, love that song in general, but the cover I think is just amazing. But yeah, the soundtrack is just great. We'll be able to fly. Baby, I'm your man. Baby, I'm your Throughout the franchise, the soundtracks kind of capture the, the 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 state of like music at that time, you know, especially the way that music was being used in the horror genre. Um, but I don't know. I just uh, I genuinely love this movie. It's one of my favorites. Not even just of horror movies, just of movies. Period. Yeah. Like I, I saw Scream one probably at least like five or six times in the theater and i i like we talk about that theatrical thing on this podcast and i'll probably talk about it again when we talk about screen two but going into a movie like with my mom my brother and like really it's just looking cool because like drew barrymore's in it it's a horror movie mm-hmm. and just having my 13 or 14 whatever how old i was my mind blown you know at, at the twist and just how cool it was to see people talking about movies that i talked about all the time um it's got so many quotes in it, like quotable lines that people still use. I still use all the time. And he does. Um, yeah, I don't know. He it's, re- just, it's a classic, man. I love it. You quote I, I really screen. do. I, I fucking love I, I love this movie so much. If there's an opportunity for him to respond. Well, if there's an opportunity to respond in movie quote period, we try to. But if there's mm, an opportunity for him to respond with a screen quote, he does. I can confirm. Yeah. Do you remember that article? I think you shared it with me or I shared it with you, but there was basically, it was about music and saying like, whatever you really like held dear at that, like coming of age point in your life, that was what you were always going to be like drawn to no matter what comes along after it. I feel like that with this movie. And I feel like you obviously articulated it just now, this like love letter you just wrote to this movie. But um, (laughs) I feel like I I did did want to say, you know, for this one, at least, I have hope that it's not the date. The only thing that I feel like would date this movie or any horror movie really is the effects and like how the blood looks and how much gore there is, because I feel like it does look better the newer the movie gets. But yeah. I have, you know, I have a lot of babysitters and stuff that are in their, you know, late teens, early 20s, and they still sometimes I'll look at my Netflix or I'll look at my Plex and see what they watched, and they will watch stuff like this. Like, both of my babysitters have both recently watched friends which is like a huge 90s like iconic show and and I feel like there's definitely I've watched that show like 20 times over and there's definitely things in that show that date the show horribly and these kids are still watching it so I feel like there's still hope for these movies you know for sure you know that they they will get especially with sequels coming out too like people want to know what's you know what happened first so i think they still have a shot of being well loved for many years to come i think it's more of a risk for the movie in some ways to like be as embraceive of the 90s as it was like but i think it pays off because yeah like it you know these things come in cycles and like you know what what was hot in the 90s and early 2000s it's kind of like coming back in and you know obviously there was a sequel that came out to this you know in 2011 and there's talks of another one now and it's like they cycle back in just as a franchise but 
Yeah, and I mean, like, the, the big thing that usually comes up is, like, things like cell phones in horror movies and, like, you know, as plot devices and, like, things like that make it so much easier to communicate information. But, like, watching, like, the scene in the high school where, like, they're announcing things over the loudspeaker and the announcements and, like, that's how students find out about shit. And you watch the fourth one and you see them all texting each other before anybody knows about anything at the mm -hmm. school. And so, like, things like that just affect how quickly information comes down in a movie like this. and just logic in terms of like characters knowing about things and you know i don't know i just think it's a it was a risk i think it, ultimately for the movie to embrace it so much i think it pays off and i think it does help it and it and doesn't hurt that it's just like by many considered like a classic of the genre now you know almost 25 years later <clears throat> I, there was also a mystery that i was going to bring up that's been throughout all four movies that got answered in the second where are the black people they're all in part two right. and no other ones. Yeah. <laughs> They're all just in two. They're just like, hey, let's put them here. <laughs> let's gather all the black people in this town and put them in part two. And don't put them in one, three, or four, which is very interesting to me. It's good to be scared. It's primal, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? What? It's a dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls <laughs> getting their white asses cut the fuck up, okay? Yeah, I suppose Sandra Bullock is Miss Ethnicity, right? Well, no, all I'm saying is that the horror genre is historical for excluding the African-American elements. Well, then how you get your PhD in black cinema, Sister Soldier? Listen, I read my Entertainment Weekly, okay? I know my shit. Yeah, Maureen, I read my Black Beat, too, homie. Tonight we're gonna have an all black movie, all black cast, all black wardrobe, black eyes, uh, everything, black eyed peas, the black cats. Can a movie sequel be equal, of equal or greater quality? The equal sequel. An equal it, sequel of greater can it be or better? equal value? <laughs> can it be of equal or greater goodness? What's the exchange rate on sequels? Nah, sequels are normally viewed as a cash grab. Crap, not as strong as the first. Did this movie succeed in at least keeping your attention like the first one did? I do, I do enjoy part two. I do think it's fun. Um, and if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, this is something that shocked me. Uh, Scream 1, 79% Rotten Tomato critic score. Scream 2, 82%. It kind of surprised me a little bit. And the audience score on both was the inverse like scream one was much higher you know scream two was lower but i think that's like you know some of the critical stuff i think that maybe some of the what it's talking about or making fun of sequels maybe some critics kind of took to that but um but yeah joe no, just in general like it's not perfect no but I, I still think scream two is a lot of fun but um you start to see like at least my opinion is is that you know with the sequel and, and in most sequels of any franchise like diminishing returns in terms of like caring about characters, the likability of some of the characters beyond your core three in this case, core four that gets down to three uh, in Scream 2. Um, but I think that's probably one the, the main thing that it suffers from is just like the expendability of some of the characters. You know, a movie blows up and, it, you know, we talk about like IP all the time on this podcast. You know, it becomes a horror gold rush of ip for you know dimension films um and you immediately see that like in just in the sense of like how many people are in this movie you know how many named actors of of the of 90 you know of 97 it was only a year later 
you know, so you have a lot of these names that are, you know, in the start of their careers, but, you know, it attracts a lot of people in it. And I don't know if like the quantity of the name, the quantity of the recognizability and, you know, I feel like it probably suffers a little bit because of that, because you don't really get enough time to really spend with the characters. Um, mm -hmm. With the exception of maybe Jerry O'Connell's character, because they do give him a shot in a couple scenes to kind of make an impression on you. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Scream 2 is, is actually really good. I really like Scream 2. Um, and uh, I mentioned it earlier, like, you know, the, the, the theatrical experience. Um, it's like I have these little like notches in my brain where I can remember, you know, watching it in the theater for the first time. And by the time this comes out, you know, I'm... You know, I, I believe I had my license. Like I was, you know, really huge fan of the first one. I had gotten a huge crew of people together to go see the the premiere night of the, you know, when it came out that night at the Valley Center here in Owings Mills <laughs> and uh, bought our tickets in advance by going to the box office. Oh, man. And um, went dressed up as Ghostface. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, man, it was like, it was an event. It was like, it was event uh, movie going of my high school, you know, like, on the level of like Star Wars Phantom Menace shit for me. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was pumped. And uh, the thing I remember most was like, you know, the opening scene of this movie, you know, when it kind of jumps in with, it, it's, it's kind of even talking about the theatrical experience watching a horror movie that we talk about all the time that um, the movie just like plays so, like it played so well in the theater. Like, you know, by that time it had such a massive fan base that it was a huge hit, obviously, and like people were so excited to see the sequel, that um, it was just a fucking good time watching that movie in the theater. It, it dressed as Ghostface, like it was just so much fun for me. And uh, that opening scene—if you were at a screening where people were dressed up—that's like so yeah, it's crazy, wow. right? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like it's 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 so surreal because like you know, I don't really even recall like if that's much of that's in the trailer, but like. Yeah, the first 10 minutes of the movie, you're seeing two huge stars that are going to die and they're watching a movie about the first movie with people in the audience dressed from the character. You know what I mean? It's just like there's yeah, so was... much there's so much happening uh, as an audience member beyond just what the film is saying that it's just it's just pretty cool to it's got a good place in my mind um, just even because of that. And yeah, I think overall it's pretty it's pretty good. So what do you think? What do you think, Ronald? Is this a dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I was weirded out by that stuff because that stuff plays so differently now. Like, you know, that that perfor that performance type is kind of shunned now. It's like it's like that's not a thing anymore. It's not quite as common to see somebody come into the screen like this motherfucker. Like nobody really talks like that in movies quite as much. Right. Okay, but. I, I, again, I have a moment that hit me, and I was like, "This is a different kind of movie." The victims are on on uh, the names are on the board. Gail comes in, thirty seconds in, she's like, "These are the names of the people that died." All right, bye. She guesses the pattern of the killer in thirty seconds, and I realized I don't know what type of movie I'm watching, man. I don't know what the fuck. So okay. And I, I said that about the first movie, about how it made me feel like a moment that kind of made me realize what I'm watching. I felt I felt a different feeling like the logic in this movie is even going to be even more warped that a person can look at a list and 30 seconds later know the pattern. I know it's for con for, t for like story to get it through. But are you talking about the fact that she knows the names of people from the first screen? 
<laughs> yeah, but she knew the pat. I mean, she's like that's the pattern so of the people. If, that if you look die. at a list of uh, if you look at a list of victims and they no, no, all no. have a name from the first movie, you wouldn't be like yes. that's weird. No, not not <laughs> not not in thirty seconds. To Ronald's point, Dewey didn't catch it. You know, I mean, that's you the- will look at that. You will look at those names and be like, it's that's the pattern. Yes, we got three victims: Marine Evans, Phil Stevens, and C.C. Cooper. Is Cece the girl's real name? Uh, oh, uh, no, it's uh, Casey. Casey Cooper. Yeah, I think you should tell all the As in Casey Becker? Excuse me? She was a young victim in Woodsboro. As well as her boyfriend, Stephen Orth. As in Phil Stevens. Maureen Evans, Maureen Prescott. That's Sydney's mother. Do you think someone's trying to duplicate Woodsboro? It looks like it. I think you have a copycat on your hands, Chief. Jesus Christ. What are you Come doing? Come on, Steve. Come I on, buddy. Like that is, I feel like that is so obvious or so heavy-handed that, like, her name is Maureen Evans and no. Phil Stevens. No. And Cece, no. also known no. as Casey. Like, that. those are literally the court kills in the first movie. That's, that scene was silly sauce. Along with a lot of silly sauce scenes in that crazy ass movie. Gail knows everything. Gail, Always. I know. Gail I love that about her. The all seeing, all knowing. Right. She is. You have to just she accept is. that, Ronald. And she keeps a camera tucked. She she has one <laughs> at arm's length and she will sit it anywhere to get an answer. And I love that that's a recurring thing throughout the movies. Yeah. I like the little score that we get underneath Gail and Dewey meeting. It's like, it's unexpected in a movie like this to have this kind of, it's just like yeah. sweet little playful music that kind yeah. of fits right in. And it kind of it. goes to what you're saying about how you don't know quite what movie this is you're watching. I mean, we know it's a horror movie, but it has so many elements of other things. They had to do a lot of thinking each time they came back to this story to say like, well, what's this killer on about? Because it's not the same. And it can't be the, it can't be like Jason Voorhees where it's like, oh, you thought he was dead, but he's not. It's like something different. And I think that's something that, yeah, it makes it, I mean, that might be another thing that lends to that Scooby-Doo structure is just that it is a masked person who at some point is going to unmask and explain their plan, you know? Um, and until then you're wondering and the little voice box gag, I mean, that means it could be anybody, you know, and, and uh, until you mentioned Ronald, the different performance, it didn't really even occur to me that in the second movie, it's Mickey, the, uh, the, what does he, what does Randy call him? The freaky, uh, Tarantino film student. You can't blame real life violence on entertainment. What? What? Wait a second. Yes, you can. Don't don't you even watch the news? Yeah. Hello. The murderer was wearing a ghost mask. Okay. Just like in the movie, it's directly responsible. No, it's not. Movies are not responsible for our actions. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating life. This is not a hypothetical. It's not about art. I had biology with that girl. This is reality. Thank you. I agree with you. Let me tell you about reality, Mickey. I live through this, okay? Life is life. It doesn't imitate anything. Come on, Randy. With all due respect, the killer obviously patterned himself after two serial killers who have been immortalized on film. Thank you, right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No, no. Come on, man. 
Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens, far better than the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. No. <laughs> Aliens but that film student angle, okay. that adds to the meta. I mean, they get in a lot of talk about sequels in that film class, and that's where we really see that uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, Cece, is like one of the film nerds and not just a sorority girl. Um, but I, I found myself really drawn, uh, like I'd forgotten how much I loved Buffy over the last yeah. few years. And when I saw this movie, I was like, oh yeah, I remember how excited I was to see Sir, Sir Michelle Gellar in this movie as a Buffy fan. And of course she's she's cast very much like the TV actress doing a a, a, a small role in a, in yeah. a big movie. Um, it's she's not a big deal, but I thought she was really great. And I got to say, I really side with her and Randy that uh, Alien is better than Aliens, but maybe that's a debate for, for another time. I agree. <laughs> I also agree. Lauren, what'd you think? I like the second one. Um... Definitely not as much as the first. I pretty much agree with, I mean, it's it's good. It's definitely a good sequel. Um, I feel like it doesn't really start, start to go off the rails till three. So I feel like two is pretty strong still. And I remember really liking it. The film, the movie theater experience was amazing for me as well. I really liked that Sarah Michelle Gellar was in it. And probably again, I, I was a huge Buffy fan back then. And she had just come out of, I know what you did last summer. And I thought she was going to be like in it, in it. I should have known after the first one that she was not going to be. Um, but I love her scenes. I think that she, I think that she is pretty good of an actress for the age that she was. Um, but yeah, the, the whole movie is pretty fun. I, I think that it, um, it's great how it all panned out. I think if anything was a little bit far-fetched, it may be that, that Billy's mom had a partner at all, that she was able to like rein somebody in to, to, to do this with her with with no like dog in the fight just okay yeah I just feel like killing people um but other than that I feel like I, and, and I do agree with you guys too that other than the core um original cast members you really probably don't care too much for the, you don't really know her roommate well enough or her boyfriend or even I mean even Sarah Michelle Gellar I probably was most hurt by her death because I was a Buffy fan these movies are kind of mean and and when you do care about the character Sarah Michelle Gellar is really she was always good I remember when Buffy was at its height I was arguing in a bar with a friend and I can't <laughs> I I vaguely remember because they were like ah oh, she's like a soap opera actress or whatever and I was like She's, I remember trying to argue that she was the next Harrison Ford. And I'll explain, <laughs> I'll explain why I thought that. It's because I thought Buffy was like a great action adventure hero or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I think she's one of those actors who it's on their face. Like Harrison Ford, if you watch him in a scene, he's yeah. acting what he's feeling. He makes you go, oh, Indiana Jones is worried now. Oh, he's confused now. Oh, he's a little scared now. It's on his face. Sarah Michelle Gellar, it's all over her face. I mean, I think maybe a subtler form of acting is that you don't show it all on your face, but for certain kind of storytelling, when you're going through a sequence like that, you need to go on that little journey with the character. And I, yeah, I thought she was great. It's maybe the second most disappointing death in this movie for, for me for sure. as far as my expectations. But I love that you love Buffy, John. That's, <laughs> that's great. There's, well, I feel like most... Of most of the people that like it are girls. So it's great. It's cool when guys like it because it's, it is for everybody. And it's just, it's not as, it's, I think more guys need to watch it. I need to check it out. I mean, for its time, there really was nobody else doing. Now we've seen so much comic booky genre stuff, but there really was not that much on at the time when it was on that was that smart about genre and that funny. And it was also kind of meta. I mean, it had characters that were sort of aware of the type of story they were in at times. And that's what, you know, Joss Whedon, I guess, and Kevin Williamson, you know, their aesthetic is not wildly separate if you really think about the way that they 
wrote dialogue and stuff. Kind of snarky, sarcastic people. Scream 1 is a superior movie. However, Ghostface in the second movie is the version that people... It's kind of synonymous with people. Like, he's, 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 he's snarkier. His voice is a lot more interesting. The kills are a lot more interesting. I think that this version of Ghostface is the one that people are like, this is... But Scream is a better movie. You know what I mean? Like, Scream as a structured movie, the first one is so much better than the second. But I think Ghostface as the, as the villain, as the horror slasher killer, is, is a little more interesting than the second one to me. You know, something I didn't remember that I noticed in these, first in the first two, I guess, is the, uh, the knife wipe. Oh, I, think yeah. they, I think they yeah. drop it after that, but that's a great move. And I was like thinking, oh, it's cool that he's doing the knife wipe in the second one. But then I was like, wait a minute. How does this fucker know about the knife wipe? <laughs> Unless that was something they had in their notes or something. Um, but what, what about the sequences? We talked about how great the opening sequence in, uh, in part one was. Uh, the, the opening scene doesn't do it for me as far as like comparing it to the first one. Mm-hmm. I think the... Like as far as, so emotionally the the worst kill is definitely Jamie Kennedy. That's like you know that's yeah. a gut punch. But the whole scene, I wish he had a better scene because his scene was kind of like off camera and you really didn't see a whole lot. You're just you know you just see him after the fact. I, I honestly I still feel like Sam Michelle Geller's scene might have been one of the better ones, um, because even the end scene of. Uh, yeah, I feel like it doesn't compare to the end of the first one. Like it, it becomes like a shootout. Where, it's it's not yeah, a scary it's scene. Not, it's not yeah. right. It's not as, but um, yeah, emotionally, Jamie Kennedy's scene's the worst. But as far as the whole scene going playing out, I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar's scene is the best. Yeah, I mean the 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 Randy scene definitely sucks, and I think it it kind of I get what you're saying, Lauren, I, and I agree with you. I I think it's just more watching it. It was more of like a, a shocking scene. Like that, you know, that that's like that's like that's a core character dying in a horror movie that survived to the sequel that, you know, he talks about the rules with Dewey in a couple scenes before that about not surviving likely, you know, or, or betting against surviving. Let's get down to business. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel, you know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage, candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Well, that Randy gets interrupted. He says, never, ever, dot, dot, dot. Um, And apparently there was a trailer or some kind of promotional stuff that was released that had that line, never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead. That's what I want to know. Oh, look at the suspects. There's Derek, the obvious boyfriend. Hello, Billy Loomis. The guy's pre-madness, pity, me, service wound conveniently missed every major vein and artery. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Let's assume the killer, or Urs, has a half a brain. He's not a Nick at Night rerun type of guy. He wants to break some new ground. Right? Right. So forget the boyfriend. He's tired. Who else do we got? There's... Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Well, let's not move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay, let's move on. Yeah, like Randy's death is a bummer because if you are looking at his character as the character that sets these movies apart in a weird way, 
when he goes, it kind of hurts the series to me. Yeah, it, it definitely hurts more to lose him than the actual like it being like a great scene, I guess, or like a great kill scene. It's just it's just the gut punch of his character being gone. The other scene that comes to mind that I was going to mention, and it's it's not even really like it's not legitimately a kill scene because he doesn't die. But I always remembered, and even watching it again the other day, like the, the whole sequence when Dewey and Gale are watching the footage in like the film school or the theater thing, mm-hmm. and 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 footage starts showing of like stuff that 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 they didn't film. You know what I mean? It all it all escalates, and it's it's a big set piece, and like ultimately, you know, it becomes a scene where like Dewey's on the other side of of the of the one way or whatever it is like where she or no it's not one way but he she's just not turning around it's like soundproof or something and then he and then he seems to die against the glass i mean as far as you can tell in that scene he dies horribly it looks like right right and and i remember watching that movie having seen randy die already and then that scene with gail on one side where she can do nothing to help him and you think they'd almost get out of this scene together but that scene of of ghostface coming in while he's trying to get her attention and like Assuming that Dewey just got killed also, I just felt like watching that in the theater and even watching it again now, knowing that he doesn't die, it still is a pretty brutal scene. And like, I, I remember being like rocked by that scene in the theater, like, holy shit, mm-hmm. they just killed half of the core cast in this sequel. And, and, and um, like all the comic relief, if you look at it that way. Oh, too. for if, sure. If you yeah, thought that yeah. Dewey was gone as well, it'd be like all the sort of, all the sort of, again, relatable kind of bumbling characters would yeah. be gone. But yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it may not qualify, but... I think the setup without knowing that he that he lives because he does look like he dies in that scene pretty Obviously. clearly. Yeah, it's bad. And um, yeah, I, because again, we we love Gale and Dewey, and that that sucks for that reason and so many others. But um, yeah, that scene was always one that really kind of got me, and I, I still thought that was a pretty effective scene watching it again. Is Dewey a good cop? He's probably a better friend. He has a line though that I I don't know if we should take this at face value, but he does have that great line when he's talking to Gale in this movie, and he says, how do you know my dim-witted inexperience isn't merely a subtle form of manipulation so good. used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively maneuver within any given situation? That was so good. It's such a good line, and it's what like, you, you, you don't really buy it, but you're also like, he's smart enough to cook that up so it's like he's a little smarter than you would think but i do think he's in the right place uh, at the right time and he's he's braver just because he's not as effective as like a macho hero does not mean that he's not brave to be throwing himself into those situations yeah um yeah i like those kind of comic characters who can be heroic but are not always going to be like because you know him saving the day constantly would be kind of dull you know so he needs to be kind of a doof um i think in terms of really suspenseful scenes though i really like the scene in the car where they're they're getting out of the back seat and they've yeah. got to pull the grating down and they've got to yeah. creep. Oh, that might be my favorite scene for pure suspense because you see Nev Campbell do it and then you think, okay, good, they're done. Oh no, she's got to do it too, you know? And I think, again, I don't think it tops the first scene in the first movie, but I do think that of this movie, of all the scenes, I think that's the one that over the years I thought about the most. The, the only, the that scene's great. And watching it this time, the thing that bothered me so much about that scene was the last part of that scene where she goes back to the car and doesn't see him and then looks back at her friend who is in this wide shot that just lingers on her being separated from that block of wood. And there's just enough space where it just sits there and you're waiting like, and she literally like bends over and she's like, like trying to look for ghost face from her, from her vantage point. Like it's just, it's just one of those weird, like, oh, they probably should have shot that better or something like, it's like, you're waiting for it. That, that that setup is just a little too obvious at the end of a really tense scene like you're talking about. Right. 
doesn't end perfectly though. I think I think that it's like it lingers on that shot of the friend. Sometimes you can tell. Yeah. Oh, even, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Even in a movie like this that's doing everything it can to stage things in an interesting and unique and original way, you still mm. sometimes get those shot framings where you're like, oh, something's about to happen in this shot. I feel like if they had just lingered on that shot for like a second less, it might not have been quite as obvious, but you're you're totally right. <laughs> And I was sad to see that friend go too. I thought yeah. that, you know, plus it's like, I think if you, ta if you tracked all the times that Sydney gets somebody killed, it would make her seem like she may as well be one of the killers. It's the murder she wrote principle, you know, of someone who has people dying around him all the time. And it's like, well, how could they not be guilty of this? Right. I have a note that says, Cotton, not guilty of killing Sydney's mom, but is guilty of killing a good mood, dot, 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 creep. <laughs> he is a creep. He's so creepy in this movie, man. He really is. I love how even his heroism at the end is like shaded with like greed. Yeah. <laughs> a fame whore. But he's got a good grievance against Sydney. He does. He really, he really does. Let's get on with our lives. There's been enough exposure. Why would you want any more? Why? No, I, I don't know, Sydney. I don't know. Uh, maybe because I fucking deserve a little exposure. <laughs> I mean, come on, Sydney. You dragged my name through the mud. Everybody thinks I'm some kind of psycho killer. And all I'm asking for is more little fucking Diane Sawyer interview to maybe get my side of the story straight. Now, I don't think I'm being uh, unreasonable in that request, Sydney. Do you honestly? I'm sorry, Cotton, but no. Mm. You're sorry. Mm. I bet you're real sorry, Sydney. Such a good angle, Sydney. Lovable and fucked up Sydney Prescott, everybody's favorite little victim. And I remember thinking like, oh, I feel bad for Cotton. And then I was like, oh, now I'm remembering why I didn't feel bad for Cotton. Because the second he has a chance to kind of, I don't know, just manipulating Sydney and 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 yeah, crowding her space. And and in the end that he seems like he's considering not, not saving her and all that stuff. <laughs> Unless she agrees for an interview. With Diane Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> the only way. Yeah. Do we think things would have gone differently if he if she said no? I think so. Do you think he do you think he's do you think he's that kind of guy? <sighs> I think he I really is. Want. I think we don't know, and that's the point, is that at the end of the movie he did do the heroic thing, but we know that he did it with selfish gain. Sydney, can you tell us how it feels to be a hero? Talk to Cotton. He's the man you want to interview. He's the hero. What do we think of our killers in this movie? We've got Timothy Oliphant as Mickey, and then we've got Laurie Metcalf as um, Billy Loomis's mom. Um, what do we think of these killers? How do they compare to Stu and Billy? And how did you like that reveal, uh, how that played out in the climax? Does not compare to Stu and Billy. At all. At all. At all. I can relate to the mom. I feel like I can always come back to relating to a mom. Like, I would, I'd probably want to kill Sydney too, regardless of if my kid was a psycho or not. The whole Mickey thing is a little weird for me. Like, I feel like, did you just like, how did you just get this random person that you have no lifelong connection yeah. with to kill for you? I get, I don't know. I mean, I guess if he didn't, there wouldn't have been a movie, but yeah. Uh, other than that, I feel like it's pretty relatable. Yeah, I think that Timothy Oliphant, it was weird seeing a version of him that's like, this isn't the Timothy Oliphant that emerged, the slightly sleeker version of him that emerged in later yeah. years, just a few years later. And I think that he's pretty good 
through the movie until he's like somehow when he's like revealed as evil he's like more of a nerd did you notice that that like yeah. in the last scene he's talking like this <laughs> well the fiendish plan you you question whether it worked for matthew lillard ronald but i don't know if timothy oliphant has like a, a wacky mode that he can go into very easily you know so it was a little weird seeing this great actor kind of not quite miscast, but kind of doing some weird shit that I don't know if it quite worked. One thing that's always bothered me about these movies is the ages of these people in the face. Like, they don't <laughs> look like they're in college. They don't look like they're in high school right. in the first. They don't look like they're in college. Man, I don't remember everybody looking like that. I have pictures of being in people in college, and nobody looked like these uh, varsity, like these NBA basketball player. They weren't like that. Everybody wasn't like that. Everybody looks older. That 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 that's took me out of it for the first one a little bit, and it took me out of it for this one. They just look old as shit. When you were in college, all the major characters weren't slightly older than the background characters. That's weird because that's the way it was when I was in college. <laughs> Anyone I was like close to that had a character seemed like they might have been in their twenties, but anybody that was just walking around like in the background looked like actual, you know. It's like I'm a sophomore. I'm a sophomore high school we were figure out what's going on like all right you have a mortgage sir <laughs> so what do we think of the explanation that uh uh dewey survived because the knife went into some old scar tissue is that basically just a joke for us to say that like that's not an explanation that really works because we saw all the blood that was coming out of the front he had back wounds and blood yeah. was coming out of the front of them this was you know this was a bad situation part of the joke is that Dewey's survival is almost, it's almost an implausible thing that you just don't comment on. Like right down to the fact that uh, Randy asks him why he limps when he was stabbed in the back, you know? It is Dewey limp 1.0. This is the one that's like. The guy's like arm up and it's like wobbling a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He almost can't like really he's doing use like a, it. Like a, a robot or something. Yes. He's so um, good in this though. <clears throat> he is, man. Can, can I just, I, I just want to see this idea. This is probably a good point for me to, to put this into the world. Sure. Um, and we can talk more about this when we get to talking about Scream 5, which has been announced in the in, in, in recent uh, news. For my whole life of knowing these films, uh -huh. I have been banging a drum that only a few people have heard. Mm -hmm. But, guys, Dewey is the third killer. Oh my God, Steve, right now. Steve's trying to peddle this for what years it? to me. Are you talking about like the idea that like he had he had cooperated in one of the movies? That he's been part of it all along? Yes. I, look, I'm Steve, telling you. If they he do is. that in the fifth one, if they do that in the fifth one, this would all be worth it. You've laid a bombshell because- That's a really good one, man. It's a good one because it's the kind of shit you pull in a fifth movie if you're coming back years later and you're like, well, what are we gonna do? You have to put like a frame on it that's different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have a Word document saved from 1997. You do? That I'm gonna share with you guys after this Please. podcast recording. Oh my God. Oh. He wrote a thesis. <laughs> Steve. Right back. <laughs> he wrote a thesis about that i will share uh that i'm just gonna say like it's got dates on it i don't know how i can prove but if there's something in scream five about dewey being involved from the start that would be steve that would i don't be know genius. what claim i'll have but 
I mean, I guess I'll have no claim because Kevin Williamson is back involved in the fifth one. So really? if that was if that was a part of his plan, then I can only assume, you know, I can't be mad at him if he comes back with something. But yeah, we, we can talk more about this when we talk about Scream 5. But I uh, oh, man, I I the question about what do we think about Dewey stabbing and getting stabbed and surviving and Scream 1 and then Scream 2 and really hurt in scream three and yeah yeah i i, I think yeah. dewey's the third killer i don't know what i want more because i do think that for them to come back with five they better come back with something strong but if that happens I literally i will never not hear that steve knew that <laughs> dewey was in on it like i will literally die i'll be dying and be like, i always knew that dewey was the third killer and that's gonna be I'll the last thing you, i hear I'll, I'll never not tell never you that never not tell I, me i tend to think that the movies have been telling us that he's a good guy you know that we're not we're not supposed like i don't know if there's a master plan that hasn't been revealed yet do you know what i'm saying like you know kevin williamson being involved with you know scream five again um you know having such a hand in this franchise like i i would be i'd be more i i would believe it more that they kind of like could piece together the idea that they, they could make a case for this um and make a strong case for it if that if that's the way they go with it but i mean that's just one possibility but um you guys hashtag do we did it no <laughs> his timeliness in scenes sometimes made me feel like oh that's weird i'll agree with that Ron. why is he there why is he there why is he here especially in scream 2 i noticed that a lot yes it happens it happens several times and also in the background well knowing that steve thinks that in my head i'm like this just proves his point okay <laughs> this just proves his point but he's getting injured pretty seriously that's the only thing that right. seems to me is he is he but Corn syrup, John. Corn syrup. That'd be a weird thing to stage for her because she couldn't even hear and see it happening at the time. I feel like that's the kind of twist where if they pulled it, it would break these movies a little bit. Like, I don't know if it adds up. <laughs> so, I mean, Limp 1.0 was in part two. I, I'm not going to... We're going to talk about more about the Limp, but that also lends itself to the idea that maybe... Because something... Maybe. That, that, maybe. that Limp changes. There's, there's, there's Dewey Limp 1.0... As 2.0 and 3, and then 4, I, does he have a limp anymore? Right? He's running. He's, he's Terminator running in 4. Well, it's, it's either, it's, it's either got to be Dewey or it's got to be Sydney. Let's hurry through 3 and 4 so we can get to this talk about speculation. <laughs> no, but so, so Scream 3, how many years after Scream? The second one came one year after the first. So right, then it was yeah. what? how many years before? Three. 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 How does everybody feel part 3 stacks up uh, in, the, in the series? May I use the word cash grab? felt like a cash grab. It felt like it felt like these hollow ideas from the first and second that just didn't translate into the third. It's almost like the per that the people forgot what made Scream special. And some of that is like the interpersonal relationships, um, the smallness of it sometimes, like within the murder scenes, like the smallness of the, the, the crimes, but like uh it, it 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 lacked that. It lacked that. It almost two three. You know what three felt like? It was the Freddy's Dead of Scream. It felt like it was this parody of itself in the way that I had never. I was like, "What the fuck is this? Is this a parody of itself?" And not not even like a meta take. I'm, I mean, literally like 
Freddy's Dead. I was gonna say it's funny you mentioned Freddy's Dead. Not that it's the same Freddy in the franchise, but I like that. Uh, Patrick Dempsey's character's name's Kincaid. Yes. Which is Dream Warriors. Yeah, these are full uh-huh. of little references like that. Yeah, I, guess. I love it. Um, the scariest thing in Scream Three is Courtney Cox's bangs. <laughs> oh my God! Why? <laughs> the year two thousand. Yes. I don't even think they were, they were really cut that way because she never looked like that on Friends or had weird bangs. And she was filming Friends during all this time. Character choice. I'm a professional. I'm a hairdresser. Yeah. How, did they, how did they grow those bangs out if they were real? I just want to know. That was some magic. <laughs> that was some Hollywood magic if they were really cut that way. We need to track this to like what seasons of Friends it was between and and like see like if there was a point where like, oh, they came back from a break in shooting and she had a different hairstyle or something because it's pretty dire. It might be like one of those dolls where like you move the arm and her hair just like came down. It does feel like a character choice though to right. say that she would get these really severe bangs that don't really work for her, but no one comments on them. So I guess it, we're supposed to believe yeah. uh, that it's just... Uh, that's just a choice she would make. But, I, I, you know, the opening sequence in this one does kind of, it, it picks up on that idea we had at the end of the last movie that Cotton is kind of a, a fame-grubbing weirdo. And we see that he's really turned his, his fame into something. Um, 100% Cotton is a pretty funny name for his, his show. I kind of love it. <laughs> me too. Why don't you tell me who you are? Ooh, you're a naughty boy, Cotton. Now, what would your girlfriend say? What makes you think I have a girlfriend? I know you do. I'm right outside her bathroom door. Who is this? She's in the shower. She's got a nice little voice. Let's come in for a closer look. She's very pretty, Cotton. A step up from Maureen Prescott. Speaking of which, let's play a little game. Answer right, your girlfriend lives. Answer wrong, she dies. Where's Maureen's daughter, Sydney? Who the fuck is this? Somebody who'd kill to know where Sidney Prescott is. One chance, Cotton. You've got connections. Where is she? You listen to me, you fucking psycho. You lay a finger on Christine, and I swear to God, I'll kill you. Wrong answer. No, wait. There's, there's lots of scenes in these oh. movies where a person has to make a choice, whether they believe somebody or who they trust. Mm-hmm. And you can see that choice often being that they're being tricked by the killer in that moment. Yeah. And uh, that, that scene between Cotton and his uh, girlfriend at the beginning is like, it's pretty miserable for that reason. Like it's pretty awful what happens to these characters, but we do see like, not only is he this fame grubbing guy, he's seemingly willing to cheat on his girlfriend at the drop of a hat. Like there's lots of little signals that we shouldn't feel too bad for him. Yeah. Um, but in the end he does protect Sydney's identity or her location. He doesn't give up the information. So it's, right. it is a little bit like an actual act of heroism on Cotton's part, even though up to that point, he seemed like he was a pretty selfish guy well how do you guys feel about that opening sequence and again how does it stack up if we think of the opening sequence as kind of a calling card of these movies how does it stack up for you as a sequence i think it's pretty low but it actually the the start of the movie kind of like get, gets an introduction for something in this movie that is actually something that i kind of i kind of sort of hate about this movie and i kind of mm. don't like what they did um and I, obviously they're trying ways to make it different it's the third movie in this you know whatever but I kind of am not a fan of the voice changing to be other people. Uh, right. I, I kind of, I kind of, um, I don't know. And especially as it goes through the movie, like how much it's used throughout the movie to like, you know, just to throw you off so that you're not, you, you, you don't know what's going on or, you know, to try to make sure you don't think you know what's going on or whatever. But I, I kind of don't like that. I, I kind of really like, 
the the ghost face voice i kind of like the idea that when you hear that voice that's the killer you know and and however they're interacting with the the character that's being stalked or about to be killed um that like that that person is you know who they're hearing and that's who they think they're talking to and you know or at least to the point that they realize it's them um you know like even in scream 2 when cc's talking you know and and at, at first she thinks it's like her boyfriend drunk you know it's like you learn that these characters are learning that this character is the killer. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't love like Cotton's girlfriend thinking that she's talking to him. And like throughout the movie, you know, I forget who, basically every character has some sort of interaction with that, that plot device where it's meant to like get people into a position where Ghostface can kill them or it's, it's being used in that way which is a little less creative to me and a little, a little cheaper. And I, I don't know that, that kind of makes me not love that scene. Um, especially cause I did it. I did like the cotton involvement. I did like that part of his character. I did like seeing him in the start of this movie to see kind of what happened to him after scream two. But um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that stuff and it kind of makes me not enjoy this movie overall as much. And um, that scene, especially when you start to hear him talk to her and it not be him. I, I don't like that. Uh, there's there's also like this this like storyline about who Sydney's mom was as an actress and the studio head that I I it feels like breadcrumbs it feels like so okay I've been watching a lot of old stuff from like the early two thousands and late nineties old stuff from the super early old <laughs> super old sure and there are a ton a ton a ton of jokes about Harvey Weinstein there's a lot of them in Thirty Rock. There's a ton of them in, in like uh, random comedies. Like it's just like you don't want to be in a room with Harvey Weinstein, and this felt like, I mean, I don't understand how it got made in Miramax. This was like this man has been taking advantage of people, and it is him. It's so weird that they how did what didn't he create Miramax? Didn't he like co-found it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is Dimension. This which is which is Bob Weinstein's studio. It's like an offshoot of Miramax. It's like his genre arm of Miramax. Yeah, but there's like this like slut shaming that goes on a lot in the movie. That I mean, like it was subtle. It was like before it was like your mom slept with a lot of people. Then the third movie's like she's a whore, and these are the people that she slept with. And this guy is predatory, and he's and he she had to sleep with him to get into the role, and other people have done it. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? This isn't a horror film. Yeah, well, even like I think two or or two or three or maybe all of the female actors in in Stab Three, you you learn have all slept with either the studio head yes. or Roman, which you know by the end of the movie is kind of gross. Um, but yeah, that's kind of happening a lot there. One of the things that feels a little bit half baked about this movie is some of the kind of Hollywood satire stuff. I don't know if it blends as well with the with like the small town slasher aspect or even like the yeah. college setting. I think those are both good slasher settings. This feels like it's got so much scope to it. And it's so long before Sydney shows up oh my God. In, in the actual story. And 50 like, minute marker. Yeah, I know. I actually made a note of that you said too. 50? Yeah. It's not until 50 minutes until she comes into the main story in the Hollywood world where Dewey Wait, is. Right, when she and Dewey meet up, that's at that point in the movie. Exactly. So it's like, it felt so different, but I also think that, they were kind of having their cake and eating it too, where it's like they're making all these jokes about actresses sleeping to get ahead. But then there's like a, th a thread of real evil going through the movie with the, um, my namesake, John Milton. I'm not I'm sure you guys know my middle name is Milton. We've talked about that before. 
but I have, I'm nothing like this guy because I don't have a giant house with a creepy <laughs> sex dungeon in it. <laughs> that but we I mean, know like, of. This idea that he has, that he has these parties with this, with this door. We've seen it. It's like a bank vault door that you can lock. Yeah. yeah. It's like the idea that it was Maureen Prescott or Rena Reynolds, as we found out was her name at that point, that it was like her choice to do this rather than someone who was completely abused. And she came to these parties and she was, you know, treated horribly and she came out of it. And it's like, the, it's, it's like the movie's just saying, and in fact, what does uh, Scott Foley's character say? It's like, that made her a slut, you know? It's a little bit like the movie doesn't question that notion, that after that, she was this woman who went around wrecking families and stuff. I mean, I know that we still we still see these guys as evil, but it's like, it's like the mention of rape in the first movie coming up so much. It's like throwing that kind of real-world unpleasantness into a movie. It kind of feels like it's not quite earned even though one of the creepiest things about this movie is the presence of this this vault screening room under this mansion where you could go down there and you know they would do whatever they wanted to you i guess so i mean it's unpleasant and it lends itself to horror but i find that always a little bit weird when horror kind of uh throws in stuff that it's like it's not really trying to deal with it like it doesn't really want to deal with the implications of the kind of rape and sex abuse and all the stuff that's kind of sexual trafficking that seems to be hinted at um, it almost just ends on the notion of, yeah, yeah, that's the reason. If you were wondering why Sydney's mom was such a whore, well, now we found out why. And it's, 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 yeah, the way they talk about her in this movie is very, very ugly. It's throwing Sydney's face every scene that somebody's mentioning her and they're mad at her. They're just like, your mother mm-hmm. slept with so many people and that's why she's dead. That explains it. That's why she's dead. What? That, that is not, that doesn't make any sense. I feel like you could, uh, I don't, so, I don't like any of the Hollywood aspects. Like I agree with you guys that that takes you completely out of this like smaller setting where this could occur. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they were insinuating that hurt people hurt people. And that's why she became what she did. Um, The stuff that I can't get past besides the whole like bigness of the Hollywood and literally just being a movie that's a parody of the whole thing I don't like that they the the Steve said the thing about the voice box. I don't like that at all. It's 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 like too high tech. I don't know. I mean, maybe they were doing it at the time to like get with the times, but I don't. I did not enjoy that. And also, I did not like that they put any ghostly part of the the, the ghost aspect of the story. <laughs> like this has never been a ghost story yeah. in any in any capacity. And now we're gonna have Sydney seeing ghosts, which. I guess she's fully traumatized um, now, but I the, I hated that part. Like that whole entire part of the movie takes me completely like, what the fuck are you doing now? Yeah. Um, things I did like, as, as much as I don't like the Hollywood aspect of it, I do think it's really cool the scene that she comes to the Hollywood set and sees Woodsboro. Yeah. And, and, and that is, it's almost like identical. That part was cool um and like i said before you know i am a person that usually likes a lot of exposition and like why did they do this and what brought them so the part about it being her brother i can get with that i can i mean i Mm. wish they had did it differently because i feel like you know they could have done a lot with that to make it really hit home but i feel like by the end of the movie you just think what did i just watch is so ridiculous yeah you know that that kind of takes away but i i could get down with it being you know, this long lost brother that was traumatized by the loss of his own mom, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I wish they had, I, I don't know, you know, creatively what I would have done differently, but it, 
I wish they could have done something more with that because I could buy that. I I agree. I I like the twist to the brother, and I think I think you're right. Like I think sometimes when there aren't enough breadcrumbs during the course of this, the movie just kind of hints of some sort of. So, I mean, I think that's why cheaper movies just kind of put together the scenes that you should have known. You should have known that when he was here and he said this and this and this, and he just kind of put them all together. This didn't even feel like it had enough to warrant that twist. It was a great twist that just, and he's, he was so mad at her and there was no hint that he had ever like, did he even interact with her? I don't think so. Like, Not before that. I don't think he did until the. Yeah. I, what? Yeah. Like, this one interaction would have helped something. You know, like real, real quick. That's a good point. Cause one of the things we didn't get to say, I want to go back for one second. One of the things that I loved about the end of Scream 2, whether or not you like Mickey and Mrs. Loomis or Debbie Salt, is I love that you realize when Sydney sees her that that's the first time that she's seen that character because she knew who Billy's mother was the whole time. And that whole time at the campus when everything's going on and she had a makeover and she lost weight or whatever, I, I like that. And I mean, and, and to that point, she didn't see her at all in any of the scenes where she's interacting with Gail or anybody else. Where in this film, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't recall if if uh, Roman had seen Sydney before, you know, the reveal at the end of the movie, or if she even like really knew who he was or what his stake in the whole thing was. But yeah, I, I kind of like the brother thing. I mean, it kind of like, you know, the video that we get to see of Randy, you know, his sister delivers that, yeah. uh, you know, of knowing he's gonna die, and here we go with the <laughs> rules again. If this killer does come back, and he's for real, there are a few things that you gotta remember. Is this simply another sequel? Well, if it is, same rules apply. But, here's a critical thing. If you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply. Because you are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. trilogy. That's right. It's a rarity in the horror field, but it does exist. And it is a force to be reckoned with. Because true trilogies are all about going back to the beginning and discovering something that wasn't true from the get-go. Godfather, Jedi, all revealed something that we thought was true that wasn't true. So if it is a trilogy you are dealing with, here are some super trilogy rules. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Stabbing him won't work, shooting him won't work. Basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, or blow him up. Number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. This means you, Sid... I'm sorry, it's the final chapter. It could be fucking Reservoir Dogs by the time this thing is through. Number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins you think were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. So in closing, let me say, good luck, Godspeed, and for some of you, I'll see you soon. Because the rules say some of you ain't gonna make it. I didn't. Not if you're watching this tape. You know, you get you get these rules in in Randy's video in this film, even though he died in Scream 2. But you know, and it kind of hints at this like there's there's things you thought you knew about this, you know, the main character, and there's things that the history gets rewritten, things like that. So I think that's why, I think it too, I, I agree. Like, I think the whole brother thing kind of works or like something with, with Maureen being so important in this movie that Sydney sees ghosts of her, which I too agree is ridiculous. So bad. But that the whole story is built around what Maureen, 
you know, her life before, you know, we, we learned about her and, and before Sydney's uh, story of Maureen and Billy and everything. So I, I think that's cool, but yeah, it almost seems like it could have been seated a little better or, you know, something else could have happened earlier in the film that would have given that a little more uh, substance when that reveal, uh, you know, when that reveal happens. I think we're seeing throughout this third movie, Aaron Kruger, who wrote it, isn't Kevin Williamson. And he doesn't have quite the command of that Kevin Williamson tone that you might think you you could imitate accurately. And Wes Craven directing, it gives it this legitimacy, but it just doesn't quite nail the, it's not snarky and clever in the way that the other movies are. Randy's little scene was fun. Um, it really just feels like they regretted killing him, frankly. Like they really wished they could have had that character around. Do you think they didn't realize they were gonna make a third one? when they killed him in the second one. I honestly think that they came back and they were like, oh yeah, we kind of need that guy. Rest in peace, Randy. Rest in peace, Randy. So what do we think of like any great sequences in this one? I mean, I think we've all said that it, it seems like it kind of pales in comparison to the other two, but uh, what are the what are the high points of Scream 3? I like uh, I like the kill scene for Pike Parker Posey's character, the Jennifer, Gen can we talk about something real quick? Jennifer Jolie, mm -hmm. Courtney Cox playing Gail Weathers, tells a character named Jennifer Jolie, how is your divorce from Brad Pitt going? Yes. Yeah. In, in, in 2000, in 2000. Wild. Four Wild. years before Brad Pitt meets Angelina Jolie on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith and causes problems. With her best friend in real life. This is like the Simpsons predicting a Trump presidency. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is, this is like, this is crazy, right? Like, how how I did think, Courtney Cox or how did Aaron Kruger or whoever who, who how'd they know this was gonna happen? I think this is a if you know, you know sort of thing. Right? Mm, wow. I think people have reputations. Wow. And I think that people have interacted with people enough to know. That's crazy. Yeah. But it's wild. but yeah, like that that sequence, um that that was the one way mirror sequence, like where she's in one of those secret rooms where she's kind of stumbled into like this one way mirror, Dewey uh sees the mirror kind of like shaking, rumbling, like can't hear anything. Um and meanwhile, you know, like on the other side, Parker Posey's character uh, is being killed. He's like kind of shooting out each corner of the mirror. Like, I just think that sequence is pretty cool. And it's kind of an escalation of the whole like running around this house with secret doors and everything, which is kind of silly. But I, I, I dig um, Parker Posey in the movie in general. I do too. She was great. I always think about the scene where she like jumps into the arms of Patrick Warburton. <sighs> Like, so that's so funny. That is so. She's I was so, gonna make a note so of that. She's so good. She's so, so good. Fun. She just walks over, and you can tell that she's probably done this before. Yeah, she's, just, she's just a needy actress, and yeah. Um, yeah. No, and and Putty is great too. He's got a couple yeah. of, of of fun scenes, but uh, no, she's she's great. <laughs> she's got that great line when she gets punched by Gail. She says, "My lawyer liked that." I just, I just love that kind of <laughs> catty, great. catty shit. And I also yeah, not I as thought, much as not as much as me though. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's Gail's comeback. <laughs> Two good lines. Um, I also yeah. think uh, we, we get another great Dewey, like super self-aware line. He um, when when um, Gail finds out that he has this close relationship with Parker Posey's character. You live here with her? Yeah. Oh my God. I needed a place to stay, and she said she liked having me around. Why? She says I make her feel safe. She says I'm her rock. Her rock? Yeah. If you weren't so concerned with pretensions and appearances, you'd be able to appreciate the positivity and emotional centeredness I provide a woman. 
Um, but that scene is followed by the scene where, where Putty, uh, David Warburton, like dresses him down, you know. And so it's like you see that Dewey's not, not still not getting respect, but but Parker Posey does appreciate him, and that makes you like her more. And the way she gets involved in the caper was was really fun. Yeah. Um, she's always humming at this comic frequency that's a little bit different from almost anyone around her. Isn't she from Baltimore? Since she is a character that you do you do kind of come to like. Yeah. That actually made that death have a lot more weight than most of these other actor characters that I honestly had to kind of remember at the end of the movie what happened to most of them. It's also it's also kind of I love it because it's like the Jennifer Jolie character is like a character you know looking at the woman that she's played in these movies for years and her husband trying to save her but not being able to save her. You know, it's like that's just like this meta it, it's just kind of I, I like that element of it too. Um but yeah, what about anybody else? Any other standout kill scenes or special scenes? No, not for this whole movie. Yeah, Parker Posey is the highlight of the movie to me. Like, she, she's the reason why I didn't turn it off. I was like, oh, I'm really close to turning this off. She kept it going for me. And she is from Baltimore. I just Googled it too. I was gonna say she's from Baltimore. I do like the one part when she's like, I'm staying with you because they don't want to kill me. They want to kill you. So if they come and see me, they're going to actually just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I do I do remember liking the ending, the, the shot of Sydney, like being in her house and kind of deciding she's not going to be afraid. That does feel like that was a way of ending the series in a way, like it wasn't intended to maybe come back from that. And the fact that Scott Foley's plan was so tied in with Sydney's past and everything, it really kind of feels like, we're done with Sydney's mom at this point. Like, I don't know that they could come back and add anything to that. So in a way, this did feel like they were trying to set it up as a trilogy and not a movie that would have an inevitable fourth part. But, but of course it did. So, <laughs> But of course it did. Anything else about Scream 3? I, I wanted to just say in, in reading about, um, like you mentioned earlier, you know, this is the, the only one in the franchise not written by Kevin Williamson. I was, I was interested... In this uh, thing I read about, basically, at, at some point, like, he did write the script. Like, he was the, the screenwriter for the movie, but that script it ultimately wasn't used. And talking about, like, where to go with franchises and things like that, it's interesting because uh, have you guys seen the show The Following that he did for, like, I don't know if it was on Fox or Kevin Bacon? It's, like, a procedural, like, about a serial killer who is, like, locked up for life and basically this like group of younger followers who like worship him basically start to copycat his murders. And apparently that's what his script for scream three was that was to be made. And then it got changed because uh, I don't know what happened. Was it some, something happened in real life, like a real, like a horrific crime, like murder, like something bad. I don't know what time, what, what year that would have been, I guess, 99, maybe, the, maybe Columbine. Um, something happened and they like scrapped that whole idea and it was never made and he exited the project and that's where Aaron Kruger got was involved. But ultimately they, they had, they, there's like word out there and articles about how that script got retooled, retooled to be that show, the following, which is kind of an interesting take. And that show, the first season of that show is actually pretty great. I've actually watched it and um, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out if that, if that sounds interesting at all. And if you like Kevin Bacon, cause he's pretty awesome in it. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, the idea that he had an idea of where to take the series where, you know, maybe it wouldn't have relied so heavily on some of the rules that Randy ends up reading in this, um, you know, in terms of like the past being rewritten and things like that. Um, it seemed a little more modern in terms of where the story could have gone, um, which getting to Scream 4, we get definitely upgraded and we see what a modern 
meta horror movie has to say about you know 2011 is when it comes out 11 years later too little too late i liked it i think i liked it a fair amount i don't think it was amazing but i i, I enjoy that movie i don't know i i just think it's a step up from three i think that would be my my easy summation of it is i think it's i think it's a better movie than three um and it feels more true to the series the characters everything there's a little bit more relatability a little bit more time spent with them but uh yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird attempt because it kind of is like a i mean it's it's commenting on reboots and it is itself kind of a reboot within the world of the of the movies a bunch of articulate teens sit around and deconstruct horror movies until ghostface kills them one by one it's been done to death the whole self-aware postmodern meta shit it's like a fork in 1996 already i like the stab movies they're scarier it's not aliens or zombies or little Asian ghost girls. There's something real about a guy with a knife who just snaps. It could really happen. I can't do it. These sequels don't know when to stop. They just keep recycling the same shit. Even the opening scene, there's always some random girl who gets a call that undoubtedly ends up getting her killed. It's all so predictable. There's no element of surprise. You can see everything coming. Did that surprise you? Why? Because you talk too much. Now shut the fuck up and watch the movie. I love the opening scene. <laughs> scenes. I love the opening. <laughs> I love the opening scene. I think the opening scene is like one of the better openings for the Scream series. I thought I thought that was cool as shit. Like just going to the movies and them watching it. I thought that I thought it was a cool device. Uh, I did not care about any of these characters. You know, I cared about the core characters that we've seen throughout the movies. The others. None, man. I when I tell you, I did not care. It bothered me. I wanted to, and I, I, I was, I wanted to at least attach myself to one of the characters. I said, man, I don't care about any of these guys. Well, are any of them supposed to be likable? I get to the end of the movie, and the only one that I think we were supposed to really think was likable was uh, Kirby, and she's the only one I kind of liked at all. I mean, the rest of they're all they're like total douchebags. These film class guys uh and everything they're saying is nonsense but it does kind of sound like the sort of nonsense that a a young douchebag says what did we think of the killers in in uh, scream 4 bullshit bullshit wow i was like expecting different reactions from you guys i i mean trash again the killers i'm saying the killers i think is bullshit because you don't think it's clever how like especially now with like influencer culture and stuff that they are like so more concerned with having fans and being famous than oh. actually being having real real life experiences the motive the motive i enjoy quite a lot the motive for the killers i enjoy but the actual killers in this film i find it hard to believe that either of those two characters would have any <laughs> dog in the fight against most of the people they kill in this movie as far as like as far as physical strength like, like the suspension of disbelief of these people being able to kill all these people that they do throughout this film now they're just being able to physically fight these that's people. what i mean that's these, what that's what i mean these, these people have spaghetti arms yeah. <laughs> i don't know if either of them are over 100 pounds i don't know 
I could, I mean, that, that part, yeah. That's a, that's a good point, especially if you consider that Anthony Anderson gets stabbed through the skull. Forehead. Into his yeah. brain. Into his brain. Which is like a great death. His death is Amazing great, honestly. Death. The way yeah. he performs it, the way he's like blinded by his blood and he's yeah. kind of swinging and stuff. Oh, it's so gruesome and you feel so bad Fuck for him. Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Yes, I don't, I, I don't think that Julia Roberts's niece could could force a knife through someone's that one skull. Could, that one Nor couldn't have been that, her, though. That Macaulay Culkin's brother could do that. You don't think with enough swing? You have to run for that moment. You would have to run. I'm questioning. Basically, I'm questioning momentum. whether Mickey could get a knife through a bathroom stall. Yeah, at least that's like thin. <laughs> that's like two sheets of thin metal though, with yeah. like a hollow core. You know, let, let, let alone it was a big skull. That's not a, that's not a skull. He was right. a big guy. It like, wasn't like even... a lot of effort. They kind of just go, me, you know, yeah. they just it's like just poke <laughs> <"Let's> in there. <laughs> I have a running start from the other side of the street. You just Everybody out. has like a butter skull. They have like a butter like, skull if, that you can just. If, if, if Anthony Perkins, wasn't his name Anthony Perkins in the movie? His character's name was Anthony Perkins, yeah. yes. If Anthony Perkins looks out the window at a ghost face running from the other yard across the street, yes. maybe it goes through. Yes. But not from this like. <laughs> Okay, that that would be so funny, especially if like Adam Brody gets killed, right, and falls down. If Ghostface then kind of backed up, and yeah. Anthony Anderson was just looking at him like, "What is this motherfucker what is doing?" doing? You know, and then he <laughs> runs at him. I actually think I, they should uh, they should hear they should hear that suggestion and reshoot. Yeah, um, no. but no, oh, man. but I agree with you. I, I hadn't even thought much about that aspect, but that is one of the reasons why that ending feels a little clumsy because everything else about that ending, I kind of am agreeing with Lauren on this that like I loved her like cleaning up the scene yes. and staging her injuries. I liked that she was such a rotten person. You're amazing. You're the perfect victim. I was so believable today, wasn't I? I mean, I told so many lies that I actually started to believe them. I really think that I was born for this. How could you do this? Do you know what it was like growing up in this family related to you? I mean, all I ever heard was Sydney this and Sydney that and Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. You were always just so fucking special. Well, now I'm the special one. You'll slip. They always do. <laughs> Come on, Charlie. Let's get on with this. And right up to the point where she's getting killed, you kind of want to see <laughs> everybody gang up and kill this teenage girl, you know, which took to create that kind of animosity. I thought that uh, Emma Roberts, is that her name? Emma Roberts. Um, she was, I, mean, I, th I think she's good. I actually think she's good at playing that kind of arch stuff. Um, and how mean she was even to her compatriot, like, you know, the way she kills off uh, uh, Charlie. <laughs> the way we rehearsed. You said it, Charlie Billions, too. Trevor and you. But the media really loves Baby. Is a sole survivor. Just ask you now who. Trevor was your partner. You. You were the idea, man. This was the movie where I started to think I'm kind of getting lost in the mechanics of of who's doing what and why they're there. And I mean, honestly, it wasn't before I, you guys talked about it that I tried to picture Emma Roberts doing anything that that uh, Ghostface does in this movie. I think I would have been more accepting if if she was killing people with objects or like getting people when they weren't looking at them. Like that wouldn't make more sense that for either one of those people. I'm not saying that she couldn't be a killer. That's not what it is. And then to create this dread when she went into Sydney's room, like she was scary. Like, oh, she's gonna go in there and, and skinny her to death? Like, was she gonna just get on top of her and just- Like hurt her with her elbows? <laughs> is she gonna 
and she's gonna cut through a skull with her elbows and I just I just wasn't buying it. But like I said, if she used objects, if she got into that room and she grabbed something heavy and hit her with it, I'd be like, Oh my god, that's brutal. Cause she's a small person. I would it would make more sense to me. Yeah, I, I don't I, and and again, like I, I actually like remember seeing this in the theater and being like kind of a little disappointed. Like I kind of was so we were all so pumped up for like another screen movie that I, I did I did like the movie and I still do like the movie. It's definitely you know, I like it more than three and probably less than the other two. But, you know, watching it again, I probably liked it more than I remembered, to be honest with you. It's, it's simply just the, 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 the logic, you know, the, the suspension of disbelief for those two people being the killer that bothers me the most about it. But I do like the twist that the two characters that are normally the victims in these kinds of movies are the killers. And their, their, their motive is just like super simple, scary where they all they want is fame. And that's like, you know, that's really talking about that maybe generation or that time or just the emergence of social media and followers like you're talking about now, Lauren, like influence culture and things like that. Like that kind of motivation. I love the motive of the movie. And I, and I like kind of how they, uh, what do you call it? Like reveal, even in the characters, you know, the, the, two film, the two film club guys, like how they're talking about now, you know, the, the, the angle now is to film the killings, you know, so that it's forever, no one will ever be able to forget it. Like, that's a really cool motive. That's a cool angle to approach it from. It's simply just the, the, um, the logic of seeing the killer stand next to Sydney at the bottom of the stairs and the killer's taller than her and neither of these people are taller than her. Like, it's just weird shit like that that bothers me. <laughs> Rory Culkin is like a noticeably stocky guy. And you're right. Emma Roberts is not is not like this towering person. I didn't I didn't think about through the movie looking at Ghostface's height and, and checking to see if they even bothered to to cheat that properly. That didn't even occur to me. But and I but well, it did occur to me that like, wow, these guys are kind of small for being killers. But aside from the cops, everybody else they killed was their same size. <laughs> so, I mean, it was all teenagers. They picked on people their own size. Yeah. Well, let, well, let's talk about the rules that were laid out in the in the fourth movie. These, these were laid out by the film school nerds a little bit, but also we get it from. Um, but there's one rule that comes direct from Sydney, and that's the first rule, which is don't fuck with the original. Well, if you want to be the new new version, the killer should be filming the murders. It's like the natural next step in a psycho slasher innovation. I mean, you film them all real time, and then before you get caught, you upload them into cyberspace. Making your art as immortal as you. Not, Not to implicate him. So who do you think is behind the murders? Well, it's a stab fanatic, clearly. Working on less of a shriekwell and, and more of a screamake. Copyrighted terms, by the way. Because all there are now are remakes. Only horror of the studio's green light. I mean, there are still rules, but the rules have changed. The unexpected is the new cliche. Yeah, you gotta have an opening sequence that blows the doors off, dollops some flashy music video direction, and the kill's gotta be way more extreme. Modern audiences get savvy to the rules of the originals, so the reversals become the new standard. In fact, the only surefire way to survive a modern horror movie? You pretty much have to be gay. Uh, the death scenes have to be way more extreme. So why are you so I think there's some extreme. There, that, that scene, uh, Olivia in her bed when Sydney finds her with the entrails out. That's that might be like the goriest thing that's in any of these movies. And that was a great scene of her getting killed. I'm not saying it's as good as the Tina scene in Freddy, but it was similar in that like the two girls are watching from the window and she's getting like tossed around the room and they're just kind of like, I don't even know what to do right now. And 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 you know that's what that reminded me of. 
Yeah, never said I was in your closet. Yeah, that 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 was a good reveal. Yes, yeah. that was. Um, unexpected is the new cliche. That is kind of what these movies have. That's what they're up against now at this point. Oh, yeah. Is that they're trying to predict what we're predicting and then go in in a different way. Um, virgins can die now. And then if you want to survive in a modern day horror movie, you pretty much have to be gay, <laughs> which uh, I don't know how true that is, but I do sort of like the gag of the guy in death trying that out. Like, well, you know, I'm gay. I'm gay, if that helps. <laughs> that, helps. <laughs> that was funny as hell. Um, so I, we're at Dewey Limp. This is 3.0, right? We're at Dewey Limp 3.0. It is mutated a little bit. Like he's he's not quite, his hand isn't, quite as stiff as it was he can use it his stride is a little more solid he has a limp but his hand isn't like he can still use this thing like it's 11 uh, years later ronald he's had physical therapy obviously so i mean physical he, therapy. you know he's yeah he's the he's, sheriff now yeah yoga uh yoga yeah cbd oil all of that at his fingertips now so what did you guys think of the way that i mean again we've seen now four movies with gail and dewey and sydney in them um I don't particularly want to see any of those characters die, but I do think that this is this is the game we're playing now with these movies, which is that if you don't kill them, and I think coming back for a part five, we're kind of segueing now, I guess, into part five. But like, if you don't kill them, I, I, I was feeling in this movie like it was time for one of them to die. As much as I didn't want to see it happen, it seemed like Gail's scene in the in the, in the hayloft in the barn, might yeah. might have been her death scene, you know. Um, and it also seemed like at the end of this movie, if uh, if Dewey had died in the final scene or something, it might have seemed like it was an earned kind of death. But I <clears throat> I think of Dewey kind of the way I think of Simon Pegg in the Mission Impossible movies, which is that I think they know that we don't want to see him die. And so they want to play with us a little bit. And they've had him almost die before. Um, uh, and I guess the same thing with Gale. It's been teased enough. Like, so is the only way to go with these characters now, if they bring them back, Sydney included, is the only way to go is either kill them or make them the killer? Otherwise, are you bringing back a character for the fifth time in a slasher film, which is just kind of unheard of? Like, do you guys, you know, what, what, what do you think of that idea that if they, especially bringing them back again, they have to do something with these characters, right? It can't be that the same three keep surviving, even though I don't want to see them die. But maybe they can. You think they can work out a clever way to keep them all alive? Steve doesn't think so. He's shaking his head. You think one must fall. I think I, I think one must fall or one must rise is the killer. I agree with that. I mean, I, I, just, I yeah, I, I think that the time has come that if they're really going to, I don't know what they're going to do to approach Scream 5. You know, like, I love that, you know, the guys that did Ready or Not, you know, from Radio Silence are involved. Kevin Williamson's involved. I, I just, I like the, the, like, what I've been reading about it so far. So I really, really do think that they're going to have, like, a fun take on it. And I... I'm very optimistic, but yeah, I agree. I, basically what John's lead is, is I, I, I agree with it. I feel like they need to do something to shake up the franchise, especially if there's an intention to like, let it go on. Like, I feel like there's a handoff that has to happen, you know, with a character that we love becoming the villain or like seeing real consequence with some of the core characters that we've seen through all four now five movies, assuming that Courtney Cox comes back too. You know, I just, I feel like something drastic has to happen with those three, whether it's somebody dying or, you know, Sydney becoming the killer or my, the, the Dewey did it theory coming true, wh whatever it might be. Like, I, I do think that there's, it would be a bad decision to, 
keep all three of those characters alive at the end of them at the end of five and being still like you know our heroes i i just think that would be a bad decision i mean i i like i like the idea of shaking it up in that way and the the the, the dewey theory that's a solid theory man i can't wait to read your word document written in 1997 it might have been microsoft works at that point i don't even know Oh, I mean, I'm going back. <laughs> I want to read it. I, I'm, I'm pretty curious. I, I love Dewey so much and I love his heroism so much and I, that I'm, I was prepared to say, Steve, I don't like this idea. Um, you're a terrible person for suggesting it. How dare you? <laughs> uh, How could you? But picturing Dewey's monologue explaining Dude. his plan. Oh, man. I'm kind of, there's a part of me that's kind of salivating at the notion of that, especially if like, what if like he and Gail are the team that's doing it next time? Like that oh. could be- Like to boost her book sales? You never know. Well, like imagine them facing off with Sydney in a final brawl. Like right. that could be so, cause she trusts them implicitly and we as an audience do too. And they might even be able to keep us guessing for a whole movie. So Steve, I hate your theory, but I'm starting to hope that uh, you're right. <laughs> so, so, so going on what you just said, so Gail and Dewey are in it together for their own reason together. But then Dewey kills Gale and reveals that he's been in it the whole time for his own reason that not even she knows. You know, we were looking the other way. No one would ever suspect Dewey. Man. I did say that in three, there was something really funny that I didn't mention. But like that scene where the knife gets thrown. Yeah. He, he's got a yeah. gun. He's got the drop on the killer with a gun. He yeah. fires. Yeah, it's yeah. unloaded. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have any bullets. Yeah. Then the killer looks down and throws the knife. And first you think like, <laughs> is he going to try to stab him from a distance? But no, he knocks Dewey out with the handle of the knife. And do he falls down, down the stairs. It's just a great, yeah. it's a great, oh, the hero's here. Oh, no. <laughs> so picturing that kind of energy brought into the villain of this piece. I mean, honestly, um, Ghostface is already like tripping over chairs and falling and stuff. I already think that like Ghostface's physical energy is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, the way that there's flailing and even the flapping costume and stuff. So I think if you brought, yeah, I don't know. They, they, they might be able to do a really, a really cool version of that. So. Uh, that might be the only way it can go because I do think that yeah, continuing to bring them back, and and have them be the status quo, it just will start to make them seem too safe. I mean, it already feels a little bit that way at the end of four. Definitely, like it's shocking that everybody survived. Yeah. But I think what it is is that three and four were sort of like not as good as the other two, and so you kind of wouldn't want to see one of those characters go in a quote unquote lesser movie. So right, if right. Kevin Williamson is back and they've got a new idea and they've got something really good, like, yeah, let's, let's wreck this status quo of these movies. Right. Yeah. And you make a good point. Like I would love, you know, like you talk about like, you know, Dewey kind of has those lines in all, all the movies, like in some way or form, like even in the first one, he kind of gives it to Gail on the steps of the high school when he's like, I was 24 for a whole year, mm -hmm. you know, like when he's like talking to her, like she didn't expect it. He's kind of like, yeah, he kind of puts value in, in being able to kind of drop those lines to kind of take you off guard a little bit. So that would be that would be really cool if, you know, and I agree. Like, I I love Dewey, like arguably probably my maybe maybe one of the best my favorite characters from the franchise. I don't know. I mean, I did spell it differently, but I did name my daughter Sydney. But that's because I love Sydney, Australia and, and Sydney Prescott. But I love Dewey. And I would hate to see that happen. Um, Steve, I love that you got that one passed, Aaron. I love that you got your wife to agree to naming her Sydney. I, I was wondering that. I didn't want to ever and, ask And you, you didn't have to say, no, it's because of the cities, baby. It's kind of like me saying, I just like the name Henry. And then we're yeah. watching Indiana Jones one day and yeah. they're like, Henry Jones. And, and Nikki <laughs> turned to me and was like, wait a minute. And I was like, shh, shh. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to ask you and I didn't want you to be like, no, dummy. Why would I? 
Yeah. Name my daughter after a character from Scream, Spatui, and you spit on a girl. I mean, arguably the best final girl. Tell me to get out. Yeah, I mean, arguably the best final girl. And I also, you know, I didn't spell it the same because Sydney, Australia, legitimately number one dream destination for both of us. So there's 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 real logic to that. But yeah, Sydney Prescott is like one of my favorite movie characters ever. And um, yeah. So on the other side of that, it would be interesting. The only other thing I've heard and I've even thought of myself is like, you know, if, if eventually Sydney becomes the killer and that would be another approach to Scream 5. I don't know. I don't know how much I would like that. Maybe if it was a cool idea or something like that or, or to kind of get that idea in. So what kind of meta aspects are, are going on in horror right now that they could tweak? Because I feel like that's another big thing they must be considering is that these movies are always sort of reacting to the horror of its era. What's different now? I mean, four, four pays lip service to torture porn and to Saw and all that stuff, right. but it doesn't really delve into it. Right. Although I did think that one of Ghostface's threats um, was, was like of the torture porn era. When Ghostface says on the phone, I forget at which point it is, but I'm going to slit your eyelids oh, so yeah. that you'll see me coming when I'm going to stab you to death. Um, I, I think there is something about like these movies do do like to comment on what's been happening in horror. What do you think? What What's left for Scream 5 to, to talk about right now? Or what is what's new in the last 10 years that Scream 5 can talk about? Ooh, elevated horror. Yeah, right. <laughs> Deep fakes, integrity of information is, is kind of what I think they, they should get at. Like, you know, they can make deep fakes. Somebody can make a deep fake of somebody in a place to blame them for a crime that they didn't do. Integrity of information. You know how stuff goes out and you hear one thing and it doesn't necessarily mean it's true that somebody's in a place? Yeah. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if they go ghost or elevated horror, I'm out. <laughs> I'm fully out. <laughs> um, I do hope one of the original cast either either I hope they die. I don't hope they die, but you know what I mean. Like I, there, something has to happen because they can't keep doing this. So either one of them has to be the killer, or one of them has to die, or more of yeah. them have to die. So that's really. I mean, I hope. I really, really just keep telling myself like, why make a fifth one, another ten years later if you're not going to do something great. So I hope they do something great. I feel like just nostalgia itself, like, you know, anniversaries of franchises stream 25 years next year. I don't know when this one's coming out. Like there's a lot, there's a lot like beyond the remakes, by the way, I love how they call it a, a, a shriekel or a scream make mm-hmm. in scream four. Um, you know, like, so that would be kind of retreading it if they do that kind of thing. But I mean, I feel like, um, you know the idea that this isn't a uh, this isn't a remake or a sequel. This is kind of like a re, a reboot or. Uh, uh, I think we called these uh, requels. Yeah, requels. Yeah, yeah. You know w- w- that whole conversation, whatever that you know, whatever it would deem itself. But um, I don't know. I think that that there's really not like it's it's kind of weird because like horror is doing pretty well right now, but it's not like a. Um, the, the the parts of the genre that are like kind of most talked about are you know either like the blumhouse you know approach to horror or you know like these like kind of a24 horror movies that are a little more yeah like the elevated horror conversation i don't know that there's really a lot of tropes that are happening um since 2011 that the that scream five would like really be able to kind of uh upend in any way except to just say that like it all comes back around 
you know, beyond just being a remake, there's just this like this satiation for like just nostalgia and like, you know, revisiting the things that you love, even if it's not the same thing, which which gives it an opportunity to be a different movie, like a different story, you know, a different approach to Scream 5. It, it might not ultimately have to do with Sidney Prescott. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously she's going to be in it, but um, I don't know. A spinoff, maybe, you know, like the idea of a spinoff. I think the argument about elevated horror not having scares in it, though, I do. I could see that creeping into the movie in some way. But, you know, I, I kind of want to get them away from the, the Hollywood stuff. So I guess they need to they need to have that like the film club in, in part four or, or the Randy Meeks character. They need that person who can comment and who can know about what the genre is. But, yeah, I, I it, it is tough to know, like, what's left to say, except that we're just in the age of of bringing things back. And if David Arquette is coming back, I mean, they must already, you know, the fact that they signed him, you know, Nev Campbell is in talks to come back. David Arquette has been signed. So that almost lends credence to your Dewey did it theory, Steve, that like, that that he would be the linchpin to this movie. What do the three of them have going on? Like, are any of them, they're, they don't have anything better to do, no. I assume. What are Cox these days? What's so, she up to? She's on Instagram pinning posting videos of her daughter singing her daughter sings really well again if, if part four was some knockout i would say just leave it there but since it was kind of a uh you know a, like i said a step up from three but not not quite as good as the first two i'm, I'm all for something with five but i also am just a little afraid of things never ending you guys know that's one of my one of my <laughs> one of my fears is that nothing's ever going to be over again well if it comes out and it's really good and makes a lot of money that'd be cool that'd be amazing sydney probably can't be the killer because if she is the killer it's kind of going to be obvious unless she has a partner because she's going to be the the victim right so she probably has to die so it would make sense that dewey could possibly be the killer because he is able to be in scenes at, or, or not be in scenes where somebody's something like that is happening so i feel like that's what has to happen yeah to the original people because, I mean, I don't know. I don't see how Sydney could be the killer. Weren't there even a couple of TV shows based on this? Yeah, there were several. Yeah, there were like those two or three seasons yeah. of a, an MTV series. That, were those like, in-universe or were those something totally different. different or what? It seemed like it was different. Uh, yeah. It was not related to the original cast. No, like it's a different, it's a different like mask and everything too. How would you feel if you saw, if instead of a movie, they did like a Netflix four episode, five episode thing that had the budget of a movie but gave us more content it's a good question I, I i just feel like i would i would rather just see that that you know as a movie in a theater like I, I don't know like the fact that i mean unless there's some amazing idea like the fact that we're like kind of just guessing what they what, what they could do like i don't know that you would like pull this out over four hours like i don't i don't know that it would even be enough to mine for that where i'd, I'd rather have it Personally, I'd rather have it like in a quick shot, like an hour and a half, two hours and, 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 you know, have it really be substantial. And I think also like the, the only, like the, the, the challenge of like serialized stuff, especially like if you're going horror or slasher is like, you're almost ending every episode on a cliffhanger. Like, you, you know, that, that urge to do that, where it almost would take away from the, the, the real reveal. If there was a great one at the end of it, maybe, I don't know. Did you guys want to like, what, what's our collective ranking of these movies? What do you think? It's, I think it's pretty obvious through our conversation, but what, where are we at with this? One, two, four, two, three. Four, three, yeah. Ronald? Yeah, that's it. One, two, four, three. That that has to be it. Like, okay. Same. Okay. One, two, four. 
Three doesn't exist. <laughs> Wait a while. Three. <laughs> and I think that was Scream. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming yeah, and doing this with Thank us. You, thanks, thanks for having me. This was fun. I don't yeah. have a lot of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, coronavirus. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, this, what, what do you think the next one we could do for this kind of franchise conversation? Do you have any ideas, Lauren? We, we've done Candyman and Sleepaway Camp, now Scream. We talked about the Saw movies. We did, we did not talk about the Saw movies. We have. No, they're always. They're we did, always. We did not talk yeah, about all, John we always brings them up. Watch we didn't watch them. No, 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 no. In the I always bring them up because I haven't seen them. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm right. sorry. I get emotional about Saw. Yeah, I, I know. I got what you covered. You? I got you covered. No, it's on the docket. It's, it's, on, it's on the list. What, what, what are some other ideas? You, got you haven't done Nightmare as much as you love Nightmare? We should definitely do Nightmare. Maybe that could be. I don't know if it was like maybe trying to focus on ones that like had like not as many entries. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like this has four and this is podcast is already as long as it yeah. is. Yeah. We can um, break it up. Well, if, you, if you do but Nightmare, yeah. you just have to, you don't, maybe don't talk about every single one. Maybe just pick. Right. Right. <laughs> so we're, you just cut them out. <laughs> when, of we did, when we did Fast and the Furious, it just was over two episodes, though. Yeah, we had to we break it out. Movies. had to yeah. break it out. Yeah. But you're right. But all the other uh, franchise episodes we've done, we did, get, we did Mad Max. That's four episodes, four movies. We did Sleepaway Camp, which is four, right? Four or five? Uh, I think there's like a fit, that weird fifth one, yeah. And then Candyman was just three. Three, yeah. Is that right? There's only three Candyman? Yeah. Only... Well, there's supposed to be one coming out this fall. Right. But well, I mean, it's now. interesting. We started. We did the Candyman episode, and then they're bringing Candyman back, <laughs> which we knew Candyman. that at the time. <laughs> but I like that we're doing this one around the time they've announced they're bringing back uh, Scream. So, right. it's, you know, it's like we can pick these franchises right around the time they become relevant. And Scream's coming out right. next right. year? Is what they said? Um, well, I mean, who knows? Oh, right. I'm sure. I'm sure that's the goal. I'm sure, like, because the. I mean, for 25 year anniversary, like that's like a no brainer. If they could get it out, I mean, it, it's it's it was. I think they announced it was supposed to start shooting at the end of this year. Um, I don't know if that happens still, but I mean, it's obviously in development. They're announcing casting and whatnot, but. Uh, all right. Well, that was fun, guys and gal. Thank you so much, Lauren, Lauren for joining thank you us. For coming. Yes, Lauren, thank you, thank you. For, for this episode. Uh, it was cool to be able to thank do it you. over Zoom, too, so we could see all the reactions and the eye rolls Yeah. Um, <laughs> and certain things were said. No, I'm not mad or anything, but it's cool. Um, you can find us at movieshmovie.com, facebook.com slash movieshmovie, and we have a Gmail address, movieshmovie at gmail.com. If you have any inclination to let us know what you think about this episode, about the Scream franchise, what you think Scream 5 could be about or should be about, you could find us uh, one of those places. Facebook's probably the easiest. You could even comment below if you happen to be finding this episode on Facebook. Beyond that, we're pretty much on any podcast platform you can find out there. And if you don't see us there, let us know so we can uh, get there as soon as possible. And uh, yeah, as always, you've made our day. Thanks. <laughs>